For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. I know these, um, you know, fake renting sites or renting ads. A lot of them appear on Facebook and on different social media online platforms. They're fake. They're scammers. It's a front pager to remind us of that. Run to the Echo today. Renter scam alert in the city. And the administrator of one of those says that scammers are constantly working to target people in need of housing. And the fear is that people have uh, been so desperate to find a home that they've been scammed, conned and have given over money. Now, a lot of the time you find with these kind of fakers that they come up with all sorts of different reasons why you can't contact the landlord, you can't they invent excuses as to why you can't view the property um, or stuff like that. But they do want bank account details, they want deposits, money up front, the keys will then be available. It's all lies. Scammers also apparently these days are requesting applicants to send uh, identification and very important paperwork or proof of address. Uh, And these are sensitive documents. You know, sending somebody a copy of a bill or your PPS numbers or your address and everything gives them an opportunity to uh, commit additional identity theft and fraud going forward of all sorts of forms. So it's an interesting story in the front and inside pages of the Echo today. They usually say they're, you know, you can't, I can't meet you. I can't bring you to the property. I'm traveling. I'm overseas. Um, I can't get back. All sorts of excuses. Uh, to get money out of you without ever having a property in the first place. They harvest other photographs. Sometimes they'll even harvest the photograph of a house that's for rent in the same area, show photographs of that online instead. Just to be so, so careful. Maybe I'll come back to that throughout the course of the morning. But uh, the papers also today uh, continue the coverage of the criminal trial on Leaside uh, uh, into the death of Frankie Don, like the mirror this morning. Very gruesomely talks about a dead man's head found in a bag and arms found in a tree. Uh, I know it's, it's awful to be hearing these kind of things, but it does um, need to be told because it's the story uh, of the death of uh, Francis Frankie Dunn, the 64-year-old who was found in that uh, period house, that derelict house on the Borean Manor Road in December of 2019. Before the courts is Yonid Cosman Nicolescu, a 30-year-old um, who was living, was living in Ireland, working in Cork in, in the Silver Key and, and what have you, but originally from Romania. And he went back to Romania and that's when the Detectives in Cork went over to Romania to interview him and he's before the court uh, denying uh, that he has any responsibility for the death of uh, Frankie Dunn. Uh, The trial heard all sorts of evidence yesterday. A lot of it was from um, uh, scene of crime examiners and detectives and and people involved in the discovery of uh, Frankie's body and indeed um, some of the forensic evidence was given with regards to the house and the garden or what have you. Then more evidence was given by a Tyg Hennessy Burke who's an employee of the Offy off-licence on Douglas Street and that's very sad because he, he knew Frankie from coming in and out and then recognised his face uh, when he saw press reports of his death and he says I knew his I knew his face he was in about three or four nights a week and we'd chat but on the evening uh, it might have been the last time he saw him actually it was the last time he saw him was the 27th of December he says we were talking uh, across the counter I suppose about Christmas and he, he was saying that Santi never came uh, and um, Tyg says, I remember feeling sad, but in my work, you hear, you hear sad things, but you just have to move on. That's very sad. He was a bit down that night, apparently. And then Christine O'Regan was visiting the area surrounding the Bury Manor Road, and she did see suspicious, a suspicious-looking male going into the garden of the Castle Grena House on that evening. Now, um, the case continues again before uh, the Cork uh, Criminal Court, which is sitting uh, on Anglesey Street at the moment. And uh, I may well 
update with Barry Roach after the back end of the long weekend on Monday just to sum up the trial so far but there will be another day of evidence today I was chatting yesterday morning on air with Alina um, uh, she was telling the story of the awful housing circumstances she lives in the, the many of the papers pick up on that story this morning including the star with photographs because we shared a lot of the videos ourselves photographs and videos of the inside of the awful home that she lives in with collapsed uh, ceilings um, you know and uh, like the Literally, to, to go to the bathroom, it's in a bucket. It's terrible. And, and yet, you still have a landlord there that continues to be paid €900 Euro a month in HAP payments. And Cork City Council can't, can't intervene, they say, um, even though the council and HAP are paying uh, the landlord. They're saying there's nothing we can do about it until you're, you've got to be homeless or you've got to get an eviction notice. Uh, but you would think that if you were paying HAP to a landlord, a statutory body, you could intervene on behalf of uh, tenants. Now, since yesterday's programme, there have been updates there, um, and hopefully that will make a big difference into, in the sense of getting it sorted. Builders are in, I think plumbers are in, and uh, hopefully things like that will, will happen. But I may well come back to it again throughout the course of the morning if there are developments. But you remember I was saying yesterday about a, about a, fake, a, a fake claim in the UK of a, a girl who said that she was being trafficked and uh, groomed and being used as a, a sex slave and beaten up and all sorts of things by an Asian gang. She went to jail for that because it wasn't true. So another interesting one makes the star today, and it's an Irish story where the guards have arrested a woman on suspicion of making false allegations that a gang of foreign men tried to sexually assault her. Now, they investigated and investigated, and they did all sorts of work on it, but eventually ended up detaining uh, the woman, uh, having investigated a claim that a group of migrants had attacked her in Dungarvan. Um, and they said that uh, the claims which emerged on social media made by the woman that she was targeted in February were investigated, but now the guards say they don't believe that there was any attempted attack took place in the first place. And they've arrested her for making false allegations or allegedly making false allegations because I'm sure it's going to re- result in some kind of a court case. And then you talk about St. Patrick's Day or the St. Patrick Festival and the whole weekend ahead and I hope you have great fun and everybody stay safe. We have a load of politicians overseas now uh, on jollies for the St. Patrick's Festivals and Leo Varadkar, the uh, Taoiseach, is uh, also uh, overseas. He's in Washington. But believe it or not, the Mail are carrying a story today. Uh, the headline is Fury over Varadkar snub to American business. And the deal here, they claim, is that the Taoiseach snubbed High-level executives, the same executives who invest millions, or should I say billions, in Ireland, uh, and he snubbed them by declining have, to have lunch with them in Washington yesterday. So I was reading that this morning saying, surely be to God, there's got to be some confusion here. You, you wouldn't do that if you were supposed to have lunch with the likes of Boston Scientific, Accenture, Stryker and Microsoft, around a round table of 10 of the most powerful companies in the world, and you're sitting there, um, high-level executives, but he didn't, he didn't sit with them and he didn't, apparently, according to the mail, he didn't have lunch with them. Uh, this is the Mayflower Hotel, which is a very luxurious hotel in Washington. Instead of lunching with the executives and members, he had lunch in an upstairs room with his team. And the mail says it's understood that he requested a crab salad and took phone calls relating to domestic government business during the time. Now, the lads are downstairs around a round table. Big heavy hitters like... Billions invested all over the world, and a lot of it in Ireland, Boston Scientific, Accenture, Stryker, and Microsoft. And they're downstairs, apparently, said to be furious with the snub. Furious. Um, they said they can't believe that he didn't meet them. It's all very bizarre. It is very bizarre, isn't it? I mean, you would think 
that you'd go down if it was a planned lunch and have lunch with them. They have um, big businesses in this country. Isn't that the reasons we hear that politicians go overseas in the first place? So what was Leo Varadkar doing? What was the reason for that? I mean, what was so pressing? Well, it could have been issues involving evictions and, um, you know, health crisis and stuff like that at home. And I know I've been saying I told you so, but there it is to see on the front page of The Independent this morning where the state, uh, cuckoo funds, local authorities, state-backed housing charities are hoovering up all of the houses that are for sale. 42% of new homes in the state have been bought up by Cuckoo Funds, the state, housing charities and local authorities, which means that um, many people then uh, want to be first-time buyers, get their own mortgage and start their own lives and buy their own first home, can't do it because they're going up against these very, very wealthy funds and very, very wealthy local authorities who can buy quickly, uh, no hassle, no mortgage approval needed, no, none like that. Fly through solicitors, fly through engineers' reports. 42% of new homes up for sale have been bought by people who are not first-time buyers. They're just, they're just not residential buyers at all. And then he should have gone to Specsavers, quite literally. It was an optometrist who was working for Specsavers in Cork, apparently Specsavers in Mallow and Middleton. The only thing is, apparently, he was reviewing images of the eyes of clients but failed to inform his employers that he required training to assess those kind of images and that he actually hadn't tested eyes for over a decade. It, it always amazes me, you know, when people give over CVs and resumes at a job interview and they get the job. How often are the CVs and the resumes or even the references and referees actually checked? Now, this is uh, the story of Nagish uh, Puranik, uh, who worked, uh, uh, as I say, in Cork Specsavers branch. He subsequently returned to India um, and uh, but ex- has expressed hope, hope that he would be able to work in Ireland again. And I suppose he could. If, for instance, he did the proper courses and was fully trained up. And I see the Baldy Barber making the front of the Echo today. He's got the lights out out in Blackpool. And he could quite literally be turning the lights out out in Blackpool full stop because he's saying with the bills that he's receiving now and he's sitting in the dark looking at an electricity bill for €1,200, he's saying that it could be the uh, end of the business. He says, I doubt, he has doubts now about the future of his business uh, because people are struggling and it's impossible to pay those kind of bills. It's In spite of everything else, it's a beautifully taken photograph in spite of the fact that it is a serious photograph. He's sitting in the dark holding the bill and Dan Lennon took a fabulous snap uh, at the Baldy Barber shop in Blackpool. Papers also today talk of loads to do with Cheltenham. <laughs> Langer, Dan, Langer Dan won yesterday. Would you believe it? Langer Dan won. And I was telling you yesterday morning, and the lads in the uh, Bower on Buchels, and I was saying, with a name like that, you just have to back a horse called Langer Dan. And I then was posting a screenshot on my Instagram yesterday. And loads of people came back to me on Instagram and say, I put money on Langer Dan yesterday, having heard you on the air. And it was my daughter's birthday yesterday. So we were in Douglas and I was in Barry's with my father for about 45, 50 minutes. Loads of people were there who had put money on Langer Dan. We went across to Marcello's, the Italian. We had a great night. I didn't bet. I don't bet. But I like to have a bit of a laugh. So Langer Dan came in at 10 to 1. Now you're welcome. Huh? Now you're welcome. And it was you. In fairness, you did flag it first <laughs> I was, day. I was just looking through the Irish racing cards for the coming up to see what horses are from where and just saw the word Langer. Langer and I was Dan. like, what? Why is there a horse called Langer? So look, uh, we actually contacted 
to Coolmore, which is the <laughs> stud <laughs> where he was uh, reared. Uh, Hugh O'Connor is the breeder there. So I'm trying to see, they, they're going to ring me back to try and see if we can have a chat with them. He's as a to tiny why horse. He's called, yeah, he's tiny. And his uh, trainer, I, I wish I had the audio on the hockeys for you now, but it was a little bit indistinct. The the One of the yard workers was <laughs> beside herself, overcome with emotion, talking about how he's such, you know, he's punching above his waist. and He's tiny. He's, he's like a pony. He's tiny. But hey, it doesn't matter how long your legs are if you're running faster than the rest of them oh then you get God, over the line fantastic I was sitting I'm watching delighted. the race yesterday and I said to myself at home I can't believe this is happening <laughs> I just can't believe this horse is going to win <laughs> for a and, wind up like that and you were telling me yesterday there's no chance he'll win I thought it was just a bit of crack <laughs> I just threw a fiver yeah. on each way and got 64 back thank you okay, very much we've had 7 winners so far at Cheltenham from Jordan Bracken 7 mm. I think in one of the years we did 10 or 11 in the entire festival we couldn't do the same these are 7 horses that came first these are I mean like we're only on day three now so if he keeps going the way he's going we're going to have 14 by the end of the festival so there's a horse running today called Floor the Porter <laughs> well, you gotta back that. There was one yesterday. There was one yesterday called Nell's son. I said it was one letter away from uh, <laughs> from calling it Luke. <laughs> Commit me. Do you remember a shop in Dylan's Cross uh, years ago called Langer Dan? No, <laughs> I wish I did, but I don't. Well, there was a, a lady rang in yesterday. <laughs> The, um, Rita I think her name was and she found it very hard to actually say that name but she <laughs> says but can you ask Neil if he remembers don't the remember shop? it don't worry about saying the word langer langer is a derivative of the word langur which is a long tailed Indian monkey or something mm-hmm. and that's how we got it because a lot of Irishmen went out and fought in wars, wars across know, the world she felt, and, then, she felt and, she they, and those Langor monkeys were messers <laughs> and then over what was it the, over you time, said, you said long tailed monkey did you was there a bit of overcompensating there by some of the lads that came back from no, India no it's just there? that because the, the, the Langor monkey was such a messer then the term you're an awful Langor oh, is you're an awful messer do you know what I mean so yeah, it's, yeah. it's an okay word it's a bit like bollocks bollocks is alright too yeah although I, hey I, you know what I'm like when it comes to swear words in the air I have them all down I have them all <laughs> done this before yeah fire away you can talk about bollocks all you like okay well that's the story of I've got a lovely email actually from somebody who did put money on Langer Dan I'll come back to that in a few minutes time I won't do anything on St. Patrick at the moment even though there's an awful lot in the papers about it because it will be coming back to St. Patrick throughout the course of the morning the myths and legend about the man himself but one other lovely story from Cheltenham two actually apparently they've just issued an emergency ban on e-scooters at Cheltenham because they there are too many drunk people that are driving around there causing a nuisance. So they've, uh, all the drunken race scores apparently are jumping up on e-scooters to go from A to B. The cops would have no, no more of it. But there's a lovely story of a leaving certificate student called John Gleeson. I think he's from down east along. Is he down from... I think he might be... He might be a Waterford lad. He's not one of... Yeah, he's a Waterford lad, I think. Uh, he's not even 18 yet. And uh, he wrote a winner yesterday at Cheltenham. He had to get time off school to head over... Uh, and jump up on a horse called A Dream to Share. Um, it's a fabulous story, and uh, I just want to give him a big shout-out this morning, considering his age. Text 0868. Y'all, is it? Did you say he's from Y'all? Somebody just said, though, I thought he was Dungarvan. No? Okay, I think he's, he's certainly done, done Waterford Way, I think. So the winner yesterday. Anyway, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. And we've got lots of calls, texts, and emails on the way. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. And Georgina says to me, oh, I have to tell you, I can't tell you the fun my mum, 84-year-old mum, had yesterday with your Cheltenham tip for Langer Dan. My mum is Teresa Hagerty. 
For almost 30 years, she was the proud proprietor of Blossoms Flower Shop in Douglas Court. I knew it well. Uh, she listened to you. She listens to your every word, lo- word loyally every single morning. And this morning, yesterday morning, as in, she came rushing out to me waving tenors, <laughs> asking me to place a bet. I, her daughter, who's never had the honour of placing a bet before, went and placed my very first bet in Paddy Power and Douglas, accompanied by my very helpful companion and friend, Anne. Uh, betting slip in hand, Mum and I sat down to watch the race neither of us having an iota of the ins and outs of it but by God did we have a good old laugh shouting at the telly go on Langerdan go on Langerdan she was over the moon it was all in the name Langerdan she said she knew a fellow once whose nickname was Langerdan and he was an awful Langer according to her thanks for the fun we can't wait for today's recommendations she get a great kick out of it if you mentioned her in the morning we'll have the radio turned up extra loud so good morning Good morning, Teresa and Georgina. I'm glad you had such a laugh yesterday. Um, it wasn't any kind of a tip that I thought would ever win a race. I have to be fair about that. It was the name that attracted me to it. And if I can find another one today, um, I, I can't guarantee anything, but I do like the sound of a horse, a horse called Floor the Porter, considering the, the long weekend ahead. But we're doing very well, and I'll have more on Cheltenham a little later on this morning. It's all about the crack. But if you were waving tenors, right, and you could have got ten to one, on Langer Dan, how many tenors did you put in them? One tenor, two tenors. I mean, if you put a tenor down, you know you're you're up a hundred. If you put two tenors down, you're up two hundred, and so on and so forth. Anyway, lines open. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. I'll come back to that a little later on this morning. Um, but uh, Mother's Day, of course, and I have you know an opportunity to do it today because we're not on the air tomorrow Mother's Day is on Sunday so I've been asking people all week to tell us about your own mothers and I'm very keen among other things to get mammyisms about mothers the things that mammies say like I'll wipe the smile off your face or um, don't make me get <laughs> the wooden spoon or if you say listen I'm just going out she say I'll give you going out stuff like that um, and lots more like that I was reminded of those sayings actually when I was reading Caroline's contact to me there during the week Caroline good morning morning mate and she would say I brought you into the world I can take you out of it <laughs> <laughs> oh that was our famous saying growing up and that's seriously threatening like isn't it yeah and we find ourselves now saying it to our children going oh my goodness we're turning into our mothers <laughs> I know. Tell me about your mum, because she, she had other ones like that. Go out and play in the traffic. <laughs> oh, and make sure it's moving. We were always told that growing oh up. My God. Seven of us running around the house driving her mad while my father was out working. It'd be, go out and play with the traffic, make sure it's moving. But you know what she was saying? <laughs> go out and play with the traffic, and I hope that you get knocked down by a car. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Marie Casey, are we? Marie Casey, yeah. Um, where do I begin with her? She's been on the radio numerous times with you. You probably remember having it. She had you in stitches about how we were all conceived and everything else. I won't go into that now. Ah, we've got to get a reminder of that story. I've got to get her on the air. If there's good stories, they need to be shared. Oh, no better woman. Um, she, she did a lot of it on her own, though, I can tell you. Oh, she did. My father was out working, so she wears seven of us on her own. Two years gap between us all wasn't easy. In photographs, I'd always look at myself. I had twin brothers younger than me, and I was always strapped to the buggy because they were two. I was two years old, and they were, she had twins, and I was tied to a buggy. <laughs> God help us! I was just put aside because she was trying to deal with them. But she, oh, she did it all, and what a woman! There's so many stories. I wouldn't know where to begin. She's with this what, woman. like grade seven, seven of you, wasn't it? 
she reared seven of us but now we say she reared eight because she took on my father as well he got sick last year um, so she turned into being his carer and we call him the biggest child out of us all <laughs> so funny um, but no no problem to her at all she did where were you born and reared like where, where where's the where's the home place we're all in Charity Road in Toker right okay three bedroom standard house yeah and where, where was she before that was she from Toker herself she was no from Grange and my father was from Greenmount she was she grew up in Grange yeah that's yeah. where she, and she my son my boys go to Grange school and she'd be giving me the memories of going up Cooney's Lane dating my father and what they did up in Cooney's Lane too much information I'd be like mom it's okay we don't we need, don't to, know need to know that <laughs> not for your parents <laughs> parents don't do those kind of things <laughs> but she has the funniest things that she'd come out with and she'd tell anyone there's no filter with her she's just the funniest woman there is she'll go up her, her social life Neil is she leave here, she'll go up to Super Value just to get milk and bread and three hours she's in Super Value talking to every staff member. Her new thing is she meets the guards up there, the guardie. They come in for a coffee and she'll ask them will they bring her down to the station Would they arrest her because she loves a man in uniform. Well, of that. She's yeah, a... <laughs> and then she comes out of Super Value and gets into the wrong car each time. <laughs> My brother would be waiting, I'd be waiting. She randomly go over and open someone's car and sit into it. She's... <laughs> Why oh, she should have been funniest. to Specsavers. Oh, we took her to Specsavers. They told her she was fine. She just... <laughs> we've, we've done everything. She just likes the company of strangers. <laughs> I think she'll just walk off randomly and talk to anyone. She just loves company and you're looking good. You teach your children not to talk to strangers and there's our 74-year-old mother going into people's cars. <laughs> what would she like to go on holidays with? Where did you go? So she was always afraid of flying, so she kind of never would have gone. In Jidani, was always our holiday home, but finally I got her to get on a plane um, with my father and we took her over to Spain. Um, but the whole time on the plane, she had everyone in stitches because she was like thinking, oh, the wing is going to come off the plane, something's going to happen to her. Her case was packed with Barry's tea bags, dairy gold butter, Brennan's bread, and she went up to Pat O'Connell's butchers and got her sausages and her rashers packed to take over. <laughs> oh my God, going away for a week like and bringing half the city yeah. with her. <laughs> she is the most Irish mother now, the Irish mommy you could you could meet. Do you still call around like and would she still have the dinner on and things like that? Oh, a Sunday dinner. We get our Sunday dinner, chicken and ham, every single Sunday. There's Seven days a week, you Just come over. You'll have your bacon and cabbage, tripe and drusheen. Oh, she's all the all the old fashioned dinners. So, is there a set dinner for each day? Do you know the way it used to be? Every day the same food: Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, kind of thing. She used to be like that, and then my father used to start giving out about it, going, "Oh, I don't want this today now, and I don't want this today," and then. She just changed it up then, and half the times if you don't, you don't want these on the table. You can go starve for the day. Yeah, and, and but she should try and mix up the Sunday dinner a bit, like chicken and ham every Sunday is a bit predictable. That's it. So what we did is we decided we'd start taking her out on Sundays and just go to random places with her and just take her out for dinner, so we don't have the same dinner all the time. Uh. <laughs> Give, yeah. No, actually, it's to give your mother a break. You should be doing it. <laughs> but she just loves it. That's her thing. Like 74, she'll still get up in a ladder and she'll paint a wall. She'll hang a mirror for you. She'll change a light bulb. She just can't sit down. She's that kind of woman. Well, she's, she's just dead right. Up. And, uh, you know, it'll give her a long life and a healthy life if she's energetic and gets out there, you know. But, like, that's, that's the way. It, and that's are, that's there grand, are there grandkids now as well? 
oh, she has 15 grandchildren. Yeah, but if you ask her the names of them, she keeps getting it. Well, she gets her own children's names mixed up. Ah. I'll be called my sister in England's name. Um, instead of Caroline Shirley, she'll call me. And we just answer to it now because it's funny. Well, you'll be, go, you'll yeah. be afraid to correct her, would you? <laughs> oh, and that was another memory we had years ago. If we were in trouble, we'd hear the kitchen drawer going and you know the wooden spoon's going to come out. So we'd all run upstairs and hide. She'd shake it just to frighten us. Oh, for and God out say. comes the wooden spoon. Those oh, wooden spoons. Like, I mean, they were the greatest <laughs> motherly invention ever, weren't they? Put the fear of God into you. They really were. Oh, they they were brilliant. Like, oh, they, we have so many stories. Shanil, um, she's a big Mrs. Brown's boy fan. And my mother never touched a drop of drink in her life. Surprisingly, you would think when she's out that she drinks because she's, as, as I said, she's mad as a box of frogs, this woman. We got our Brendan O'Carroll tickets and we got a t-shirt made up for her and we, were taken, we went up and booked the Crow Park Hotel and we arrived up there, we got her dressed and next thing we're down in the lobby to go to Mrs. Brown's Boys only to, for my sister to look at the tickets, Janice, and going quiet and we're looking at her going, what's wrong? We were up there a year early, Neil. <laughs> for the concert. My mother all dressed up in was her there, Joe Dolan t-shirt. Was there any gig on at all, no? Oh, there was a red hot chilli pepper. <laughs> We went up to the room and we watched Dirty Dance with my mother. She was depressed and went to sleep. The Crow Park Hotel the next morning offered us a free room for the following year because they felt so sorry for us to bring her back up. Did you go? <laughs> we did. We eventually went to it a year later. It's the first time I, I've ever heard of a woman being early or on time. <laughs> a year early, dressed up. We're lucky we realised when we were in the lobby if she turned up to the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Oh, Was she mortified though? Were you mortified? Mort- mortified oh my I was trying to hide it when we came home in, even in work when I went to work I we got destroyed when we came home over it oh, oh the mortification I, I, take, I take no blame it was all my sister <laughs> all her I have a feeling to Joe Dolan's tribute the other night in the opera house and she absolutely loved it because she followed him for years and Ben and all the family they were playing there must have been and a great night fan- Fantastic! Sure, she was up on stage and she was wiping the sweat off him. She bought her handkerchief and everything. How did she manage to get on the stage? Oh, my mother would get on anywhere. She went up around the side and started waving and holding the handkerchief and they told her, they pulled her up around the side of it and got her on. She got her photographs. She was dancing with them. <laughs> you might say something that she had a few Chardonnays inside her, a few gin and tonics, this, but she, she didn't. She had her bottle of Tanora Neil inside her, Tanora oh, to drink. We'll bet we blame the Tanora. <laughs> I have, a feel, I have a feeling we could be talking about her for another half an hour. But I tell you what, I'd love to chat with her. See if she's around later on this morning, will you? Oh, definitely. I called over to her. I am just uh, I just took her down to the, her post office to do her bits and I told her she wasn't allowed to talk. She's come back that you'll be calling her. Yeah, we're going to give her a call later on, have a chat. No, Organise something nice for the great Marie Casey. Lovely chatting with you, Caroline. I'll talk to her later on this morning, all right? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for the call, Neil. Good luck. Thank you. Okay, Bye. keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone. 0818104106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. There's some super prizes for Mother's Day ahead, including some lovely bouquets of roses and flowers. Again, from Stacey at Shandon Flowers. And we've also got uh, some gorgeous uh, jewellery vouchers, Michelle Jewellers vouchers. We've got four of those worth €250 Euro each and some beautiful lunches as well. So keep those texts coming for Mother's Day. And I'll stay with it for now. They had a lot of, there was a lot of mammyisms that we were talking about this morning. Like if you come down late, you might have been out late and come down in the next day late. The dead arose and appeared to many 
or if you fall off that wall and break your legs, don't come running to me. You know the ones. If you don't stop crying, I'll give you something to cry about. Um, or if you were supposed to be at Mass and probably didn't go to Mass or paid no attention at Mass, how would they find out? Well, they'd ask you, who said Mass? <laughs> what was the sermon about? Stuff like that. I'd say Breda can relate to a lot of that kind of thing. Breda, good morning. Good morning. <laughs> uh, a lot of these stories that I'm looking at, actually, um, and the text I'm getting in emails should have been reported to Childline back in the day, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> with the threats from mothers. But go ahead anyway. Well, we lived on the farm, so our, our bungalow was one field away from the River Barrow in Leash. So we were often threatened with being tied in a sack and thrown in the river. <laughs> <laughs> but my, my favourite favorite one... Did it frighten mother- you when you heard that? I'll put you in no, a second, no, throw you no, in the barrel. No, no, we were all up for it. Apparently, when we were small, we watched some program on scuba diving and we all headed down to the river. She had to, to tear down after us, you know. But it's a very dangerous to thing to say to kids, though, because there's the, they run the risk that one kid will put another kid in a bag and throw him in the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we often threw each other's shoes in the river. <laughs> All right, okay, that's as bad as it got. All right, sorry, go ahead. But the, 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 my favourite one of hers was, um, if you don't behave, I'll twist off your arm and hit you with the sloppy end. <laughs> if she threatens you to twist off your arm and hit you with the sloppy, floppy end. end. God, floppy end. That's <laughs> gruesome. Oh, she was brilliant. <laughs> but I was thinking about her yesterday now because it was torrential rain. And she, she she was buried on my 15th birthday. I actually found her going into rigor mortis, you know. Oh, dear but me. That's, a, that's, that's another story. But she told me a poem and 45 years later, at 60 now, I still think of her on rainy days. And it's great. It's called The Just and the Unjust. The rain it raineth every day upon the just and the unjust fellow, but it raineth more upon the just as the unjust hath the just umbrella. <laughs> so on rainy days, I always have a smile on my face. I like it's a that. nice memory to have. You I know? like that. I know. Yeah, the, the yeah, injustice yeah. done to the justice, to the just by the unjust. But she must have died young. She was only in her 40s, I think, um, 47, I think it was. Yeah. Tragic. But and were, were there many in the family when, because you were oh, quite young? There were three of us, like I had a brother and sister, my father, and both my parents were only um, children. And she actually, um, she used to visit Ireland every year as a child because she'd a uh, maiden aunt here. She was actually um, moved from America to England in time for the Blitz. Right. Which is very unusual. Like, I mean, she actually got a went to grammar school and got a scholarship to Oxford. You know. Yeah, yeah. And so she went to she, Oxford. She did. She got a double first. Uh, she she was a linguist. She did um, uh, Greek and Latin. Uh, you know, she 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 met J.R.R. Tolkien. You know. Did she? Yeah, because she, she part Swedish, and you know, he had his Icelandic and uh, Nordic. In inspiration. Was she a friend of talking? No, no, he would have been her professor at one stage. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Part Swedish, it would have been of interest to him. So you know? she's part Swedish, living in America, moves to London during the Blitz, but ends up then in Leash uh, and meeting yeah, your yeah, dad, is Fred, it? Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. There was a 16 year difference between them, God love him, like. 
But yeah, you know, it wasn't the best of marriages in the end, like with your Holy Catholic Ireland at the time, you couldn't get a divorce, you know? Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? You know, yeah, the way the world yeah, was. Yeah, yeah. It's much more yeah, liberating yeah. now, thank God. And are you still in Leash or are you down on Lee side now? Oh, no, I'm in Cork. I'm yeah. in Corkonia now at this stage. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you remember yeah, yeah. her on Mother's Day? I do, I do. You know, well, and I remember on every rainy day, like of that um, just and unjust poem, you know. So she I think sounds, it's a nice memory to have. She sounds like know? a beautiful mother and a very interesting woman, I'd say, in her own right. Oh, she was, she was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It used to be fun trying to teach her Irish because she, you know, the way English phonetics and Irish are totally different. Yeah, and is she buried so, above in Leash then, is she? She is, she is with the father and I brought my brother's and sister's ashes up uh, there to, to um, I tell my my sister that our brother was in the mercy in ICU when she was waiting for a hospice bed in um Mary Mountain Military Hill at the time, like hardest thing I've ever had to do. Wouldn't wish it on anyone, but I was able to tell my sister that um, you know I was going to get Michael cremated just so we could bring his ashes up to yeah. bury them yeah. in the parents' grave. Yeah. Leash, you know. Yeah. yeah. So I did. Yeah. yeah. And are you the last one remaining now, Brida? I am. I am. You're yeah. the last yeah. of the tribe. Well, I have the son and the daughter. Well, you're oh, well, that's great, isn't it? That yeah, the name yeah, will continue, yeah, 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 and the yeah, heritage yeah. of the family will continue. Well, it's lovely. It's lovely talking to you this morning. What was your mum's name? Marie Foran. Yeah. Marie Foran. Okay. But Hadeland was her maiden name. Okay. It's, it's a lovely part of the country, Leash. It's, it's an area I don't know well. I know the north, oh, the shore, and the barrow. It's a bit like you know, Deliverance. That movie. <laughs> Certain parts of it are like that. You know, banjo player types. <laughs> the Midlands. Okay, well, listen, mind yourself and have a lovely weekend. Thank you for taking okay. the call. Mary. Oh, you know what St. Patrick said when he was driving the snakes out of Ireland? Shoe. He was holding the steering wheel and looked back over and sho- his shoulder and said, Are you all right in the back, lads? <laughs> <laughs> Stick to the day job, Rita. Mary, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? I got a great email. I really and truly did a fabulous story about your man, Breda. Um, I, I, I know the name for some reason. Why do I know the name Breda Ansbro? I don't know. I just know it. I mean, has she been in touch with me in the past or have you? Not that I know of. No, I don't think okay. so. Okay. Okay. So she'll be, what, 70 come April 3rd? Yep. Big birthday. Yeah. And again... Here's another story of somebody's own mother then before her dying very young. Anyway, pick up the story yourself rather than me jumping ahead. Um, basically, um, her own mother passed away on Christmas Day having a baby, both herself the baby perished. And so her father was left with herself and her two sisters to raise, I suppose, at a time where there was very little support. Yeah. Um, so my, say, grandmother's sisters would have been from Charlesville and they took the baby to help him out, you know, to, to raise her for a while. How um, old were you, though, at the time? No, this was when my mother was born. Yeah, oh, when you're... Oh, I'm sorry, of course it was. I'm yeah, jumping ahead mother. again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, no, so, and she was there till she was four. Yeah, so she... Yeah, so she was... Okay, so your mother... Her mother died giving birth to a little baby. Both of them perished, yeah. sadly, tragically. Uh, and yeah. your mother was, what, a few years old, I meant to ask, is it? She would have, yeah, she would have only been a toddler. Okay. She's the youngest of three. Yeah. So she's off to Charleville then? She's off to Charleville then for her younger years until she was about four, there or thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. And 
then I suppose when he was in a position that the girls were that bit older and the, the baby wasn't a baby as such anymore, she came back home. Um, to be home being y'all, right? Y'all, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, yeah. And she was raised here then, and she's been here ever since. Okay. And obviously she settled down, otherwise you wouldn't have come along. How'd that happen? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was born in 1975, and my brother would have been 1978. So she met my father, I presume, like her late teens, early 20s. In you all, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Red Barn, one of those places, heading off on the hand of 50 out the road. Yeah. So along comes yourself and your brother. Yeah. Um, and then another tragedy again. Yeah, he passed away when I was three and my brother was six. Your dad? Oh, six months, yeah. Um, he committed suicide. Oh my God, the misfortune. He must have had, he must have had his troubles. At the time, wouldn't had yet, yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Do you recall that? No, I have vague memories. I would have been three, so I've kind of vague memories of him. Um, one, he did an accident. One day, he caught his hand in front of me. I just remember seeing the back of him and the blood. I suppose it was traumatic for me as a child, you know. And I don't think my brother would really. He'd like. Actually, what him. memories would you have? Few enough memories at the age of three, wouldn't you? That's it. Literally two memories, really. Another one was um, he used to bring me to the pub. I think on a Sunday a local pub and um, I can remember sitting on, it was really old and dingy and dark, sitting on a stool, I presume drinking a bottle of orange or something and yeah. staying dark. And that's literally the only two memories I've had. A bottle of orange in a, in a yall pub. wonder what pub yeah. that was. Yeah. Anyway, misfortune, yeah. you died young. But your mother Very then, of course, was left with two small children, you she three was, and your brother six months. Yeah, she had to hold it together, do you know? What'd she do? She went, she was at work, she worked. She worked in Super Valley for 30 years. So she'd get us up in the morning. If we didn't have school, she'd walk us to our aunt's. She wouldn't have had a car or anything like that. Um, we'd spend our day in our aunt's. She used to look after us. And when my mother finished work at six o'clock, she'd head away out to pick us up. And it could be the depths of winter. And she'd have to bring us home and kind of get us organised then. And oh, my God, into a cold house. Isn't it true, man? She had neighbours at the time. She had a neighbour next door. And Kitty Malone would be in her name. And she'd have gone in, an older lady, and she'd have lit the fire for her, she'd throw out the washing or you know, she neighbours that were great, they'd do little things like that to make her life better. You see how neighbours and family pulled together there with your sister minding you by day, too small for school, and the neighbour lighting the fire when she yeah. comes in after a day's work. I love that, do you? She'd do the same when we'd be at school, you know, we'd head off to school at a time when we could walk off on our own. And we'd call into her, we'd walk up the street and call into her after work, and we used to get something nice at the shop, and... We'd head away out to my aunt's then and she'd still, she'd come out. That went on for years, you know, until such a time as we were old enough and I felt I was responsible enough and I was saying, I can mind my brother, right? Yeah, I know, I know. But you're walking in there in the depths of winter with two small children after a long day's yeah, work yeah, and having to work on a dinner and stuff like that. And, and get everything ready for the following day. And, you know, she wouldn't have had a lot of money. So she, like, we didn't discuss it until later on when I was kind of a parent. I don't think you appreciate it when you're a child. Of course you don't. Yeah. Hardship, you know? It's normal. But she, um, she would have gone home and she wouldn't have had a lot of money you now for coal and things like that. So she, one of the neighbours might have lit the fire for her. The house would be, the sitting room would have been warm so that's where we'd kind of base ourselves. And, but she, we'd go to bed, say, for 8 o'clock. She'd have to go to bed at that time. Then. She wouldn't have the coal or the money. To, Did to she tell house. you that years later then, is it? Years later, when you, when you start talking about when we were kids, I think once ever she asked me, do you know, did you ever feel you went without her? We never did. We didn't. Like all kids, we want the new fed and we want the new, the new, the new best thing, you know, but we never, we were never hungry. We were never no. cold. 
you know, she you know something. She, she you know, it without. was it was she. Oh my God! You just said what I was going to say. It was she went yeah. without, wasn't it? She went without, most definitely. And we weren't. We, I suppose, we were selfish. Kids are selfish. Do you know? Until we got that bit older. I mean, I was. We were kind of wild. The two of us were wild. Yeah, yeah. And do you know, she had it hard. She had nobody to kind of hop off of and ask, "What do you think I should do with them?" Or do you know? So she did. Like her friends, she had a great uh, support network. There was no, there was no huge amounts of benefits then, or bonuses, or no, extra this or that, or payments from the state. She would have been a very straight person. Do you know? She, I mean, I don't think she would have even claimed probably what she could have been claiming. She felt that you know, I'm working, so I, I shouldn't be entitled to this or I shouldn't be entitled to that. So she may do. She would have had to be very frugal. She would have had to put a pound into an envelope or a jacket pocket for this. And, you know. I know, I know. Everything was looked after. It had to be there for when it was needed to pay bills for what was... But even her own life, because she would have been a very young mother of two small children and and yet was denied the company of her her husband or a life together with a partner that she loved. You know, I wonder how she felt about that. Did she feel cheated, you know? He was the love of her life, I suppose, and we were his children as such, so she devoted her time to us. Um, I often say to her, after, you know, oh, you should go in, Joe, find a, we'll get a new daddy and all this. When I was an adult, we'd joke with her, you know, oh, I wouldn't have him in my way. She's very independent, you know, she has her own home and her own little bits and pieces and she does her own thing. She never wished to settle down again. She gave all of her time no, and devotion no, to you guys. Is, yeah, yeah. But yeah. isn't it lovely and that you appreciate it all these years later? We do, we do now. Um, when we were lads, I say when we were kids, we were selfish. We just wanted, I suppose, everything that was going. And you know, but as we grow up, and you start to kind of look at it from outside, and then you have your own children. And but when you I got older, did you ask her about your dad then? We would have had conversations about him over the years. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, we, we we had photographs of him, and she'd always say like that. We got our wife streaks from himself. He was a bit cracked as well. He did love motorbikes and. You know, different things like that. She, she, she's great stories and great memories of them. You know. And how is she now? She's good. Um, she was diagnosed. She, she retired at sixty. She'll be seventy so ten years ago, and she wasn't really long um, retired. And she was diagnosed with Parkinson's. Um, but being positive again, she was delighted it wasn't something more sinister. Yeah. She yeah. can live with Parkinson's. That yeah. was her answer on the day. You know. Um, she's doing well. She's, she takes every day as it comes. You know. Um, very positive about it. if she needs support she'll ask for it lovely it yeah I'm delighted yeah, yeah it's a lovely it's a lovely story I'm so glad you got to share it because we got an insight into life back in the day in so many different ways yeah, yeah. young mother rearing two small children with the help of the local community would you stay listening and give our kindest regards to your man Breda because some lovely prizes and I can guarantee you I'm going to have something very nice for Breda a little later on this morning alright Mary Million. Not at all. It's a beautiful story. Thank you for sharing. Thanks, very much. Thanks so much. Yeah, okay. Incidentally, there was reference there, of course, to somebody who, who took their own life, as in uh, Mary's uh, dad when she was very, very small. If anybody is suffering from, you know, thoughts like that or indeed is uh, in need of maybe a little bit of intervention, um, and sometimes when you read stories like that, uh, it brings back uh, other issues in people's minds. Always remember the Samaritans on 116123. Back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. Ah, you're great entirely with the mammyisms. Hi, Neil. My mam used to say, she used to say this, they're suffering from a multitude of disarranged ideas and intoxicated by the exuberance of their own verbosity. 
He says to me, I have no idea what she meant. I think she was kind of like saying, they're full of it. But it always made me laugh, though. It's a great saying, and fair play to your mammy. And there's more coming in like that, actually. Just some texts. Uh, actually, can I just do one or two uh, on issues regarding our politicians? I was talking about uh, Leah Varadkar being over in uh, Washington and allegedly snubbing some very senior business uh, people from big international companies that have uh, massive operations here in Ireland. Should we all know our leader uh, is having a great time, but we're not allowed to talk about it because the media has his back. Well, if the media has his back, it wouldn't be on the front page of the mail this morning, or I wouldn't be talking about it. More importantly, uh, Mike in Mallow says, did you read that Michal Martin is giving €500,000 to the New York GAA? I'd like to know who gave him permission to allocate this taxpayer's money to the New York GAA. I just wonder, would Michal be as quick if it was his own money? Irish people are being thrown out of their accommodation onto the streets and the tarnished is handing out taxpayers' money like snuff at a wake. How far would this half a million go in making 160,000 abandoned houses fit for people to live in? Can't come on air, great show, but I'm very annoyed, says Mike. On that topic, actually, um, we did check it, and Micheál Martin, TD, Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, has reaffirmed the government's commitment to overseas development of GA, Gaelic Games, and announced a grant of €500,000 towards the redevelopment of um, Gaelic Park in New York. So that's uh, the reason that he's given it, and it's it's half a million. Uh, talking of all things New York, uh, you know, I mean, I can understand why people would build their nose out of joint, if you like. Talking of things regarding New York, they'll have some big St. Patrick's Day parades in New York. A lot of Cork people go, Irish people head over to New York on their own money, under their own steam, uh, and a lot of them will be heading to the parade and checking out Tom McCarthy's pub, the Long Acre Tavern, just off Times Square. want to give them a big shout-out, because I know they listen online. Uh, and if you have fans, friends or family who are over there, get them to call in. I mean, if they can bring proof that they've arrived as a tourist, uh, that you're over from Cork, you'll have little trouble twisting Tom McCarthy's arm for a free pint this weekend, lads. Tell him I sent you in there and to give you a free pint. Just the one, mind you. Then on Cheltenham, tis great promoting horse cruelty and gambling, Neil. Fair play to you. Next month, you'll swing the other way. For God's sake, would you please make your mind up? I'm damned if I do. And I'm damned if I don't. I don't know why I come to work at all, because I can do absolutely nothing wrong. All right, I should say. Nothing right. Uh, it's, a, it's a bit of crack, you know. I'm only looking at it through the eyes of people having a bit of fun. Um, and on that basis, um, thank you, Kieran. He says, the 3.30 today at Cheltenham, there's a horse named Home by the Lee. It's worth a euro or two. Yeah, thank you, Kieran. Paddy Power's given odds at 13 to 2. And then, uh, actually, the same thing from Trevor. It's a cracking each way best on the horse called Home by the Lee. And uh, yesterday's super duper winner, Langer Dan. Uh, and one of our callers earlier this morning asked me, did I know that there once was a shop on Lee's side called Langer Dan's? Uh, which I didn't. Um, somebody came back and said, Langer Dan's shop was on the Old Yald Road, halfway between Dillon's Cross and the Three Horseshoe Bar. Thank you for that. We've identified where it was. What did they sell in Langer Dan's shop? So come on back to me on that one. Loads on mammyisms, which I'll come back to in a few minutes' time, but I'm conscious of people holding on. I want to get back to the phone because I'm mad keen to hear the story about Kitty Crow. Bernadette, good morning. Oh, good morning, Nate. Tell us all about Kitty Crow, who sadly Kitty passed Crow away last year at the age woman. of 90. Yeah. Was she 96 when she passed away last 96, year? 96, she would have. She passed away. Her first anniversary was yesterday. And what's your connection to the late Kitty Crow? I'm her daughter. Lovely. So tell us all about her. She lived and reared the whole family on Dominic Street, was it? 
That's correct. Roland's place in Dominic Street, Shandon Bell's name. Oh, my God. She How many kids? There for 96 years. She was born there. Her own mother before her. And then her mother's sister was the first to have the house. So there are about 200 years between them. Closer to That's 250, I'd say. Early, you might as well say. Two and a half centuries, I would think. Yeah. I'd say from when the house was built. Oh, definitely, yeah. Oh the house, Neil, size of the house. Now, boy, you'll be in stitches. <laughs> and there was 11 reared in the house. And then she reared her, her best friend, then Kite. Lived in Dominic Street as well, but not as, like my mom. She moved down there when she was maybe in her 40s. Um, so she might have lived there about maybe 40 years in her house, but my mom was a, a trooper, a Shandon. Knew she knew everyone. Like, she could go up Shandon Street now for a pint of milk back in the day, and you could be sure that she would be out for hours. One, I used to be, I'd, I'd often go out with our no need and we'd be coming up Shandon Street and every person that passed you go from one to the other, oh, Kitty, oh, hello, such and such. A. And I was get so bored, I'd be linked out of her and I'd be give her a little pinch, you know, a little squeeze, much as to say, like, move on, man, for God's sake. Oh, say, you please. must have been bored, witless, <laughs> standing around for hours you on Imagine, end. like, being eight or nine years of age and you're standing there and they're talking about things you're not And she's totally about. ignoring you, like. Oh, totally, yeah. Any I'd idea what they'd be chatting that. about? I wonder, you probably had no interest, I suppose. <laughs> None. And my mum then was a pure redhead. She beautiful auburn hair, like Audrey Hepburn. Go away. And um, I was a redhead then, like my mum, so I was one of the crows then because I had a redhead. <laughs> 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 and of course, my dad then got dressed as all. He was very jealous of our lady. He used to be saying she was up and down with Jim Shorten's man. No one could call to the house. <laughs> she was up and down with Jim's this man, the rent man, anyone, yet go by. But he wasn't serious, he was though, was he? With was he serious? Yeah, he was dead serious. He was saying he jealous about her. And he, she never went outside the door in her life. Was she, was she so beautiful? Was he so? Was she such a beautiful looking woman that he oh was God, jealous? Oh God, Neil, it's a shame. Now that I'm not in her own house in Rollins Lane, there's a picture of her. She's only eighteen. She worked in all garments in Dominic Street. Remember uh, the I old do. old garments? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. By the fucking crane. I do. Yeah. Well, she worked there, and they took. A, she have a picture that they took, like a, a photographer took us. Neil, you should see her. Be talking about to them stars. Audrey Hepburn, Hollywood. you said. Audrey, Hep- Audrey Hepburn. And so- the Auburn hair, then, like, I mean, oh, she was only, she was massive. Massive. But Neil, she, um, herself and my, herself and my dad, like, they were like tickets. They used to be always fighting, and she'd <sighs> give him an awful time because he had a bit of a drink problem. Oh, uh, sure. And he'd wait then because he knew then she'd be ashamed because she was all the neighbours. Oh, I won't be able to go tomorrow and show me face over that bastard she got. You know, she wouldn't curse at all, but she did use that word. But what word did she, she use? She'd apologise for it. What word did she use? She would say, that bastard. <laughs> it's true for what my mother used to say. If he'd a tail, he'd pass for the monkey. <laughs> But did it upset you as kids then? I mean, there was 11 of you. 
there was 11. But Neil, we, we used to be only laughing because he knew, he used to play my mum. When he'd get to the end of Dominic Street, he'd start singing, I'll take you home again, Kathleen. And of course, often we'd be out playing and we'd run in home then because we'd heard the song before we'd see him. Because he'd some voice, like it was on read. And he'd come in then and he'd start denying my mum. And there'd be words like she was doing something up to the side. Would he be coming from the pub or from work or what? Well, he was a jocker, you see, mate. Yeah, I know. They're and very you know, when they finished the boat, like they used to have great money back then. Yeah. But Neil, he never left us soon then. Yeah. He'd always, he'd always give me mum the money for Thank us. Thank God for that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was a a very good father. But would you say that in spite of all of that, that they did love each other and that they were joined at the hip kind of thing? Oh, they did. Yeah. Well, put it this way, Neil. We're talking about things that the old youth there. I said to her one day out of the blue, because I used to be very forward, and I turned around to her one day and I said, Mom, I said, if you don't like my dad so much and you're saying that you shouldn't have married him, go away, you, you bastard. My mother never wanted me, wanted you for me, she was my friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's true for what she said, if you detail, you pass for a monkey, you're an ugly man. When you said that to your mother, what did she say? She turned around to me, Neil, I never forget it, I'll always remember it. There was nothing in my day like it is today. I have to do my duty. Amazing, isn't it? I had I to do you my duty. I've done me a lot of times in my own mind. What? what? <laughs> I said to her, in, I was saying in my own mind, well, you had to do your duty a lot of times. She was called like uh, having, you know, going to bed for daddy she said that was her duty I know sure her. I know I know I know because um, there was nothing to stop us from having children back in the day 11 kids yeah yeah but that, a lot of that was were just words I'd say you know I hope oh, anyway yeah. I hope anyway but but 11 kids though in a small little house on Dominic Street even on a docker's wage that must have been hard yeah. you know yeah and, well, and I'd say had, we yeah. had seven girls and two boys, but um, then we had we had my sisters too, which we were. He, he was a brother, one of them, Edward. The other fellow went home after about six or seven years, but Edward died living with my mum. From when he came out of hospital, he was in our house. Like so, we used to call him a brother. Yeah. But then she had the best friend, Kais, Kais O'Callan. And she was come on, she was come down to my mum's then every night, Neil, with her knitting. She was be always knitting for someone. And she'd come down with her knitting needles and her wool. And um, my mum then reared about four or five of her kids as well. Neil, I know, I know you wouldn't believe how could she get all them into the house. But I tell you one time she bought bunk beds, Neil. Like, we, you know, we had nothing back in the day, like only yeah. the bare ascension, yeah. you know? yeah. Yeah. And there were so many of us there then, like it was a lot of feet and me. But there must have only been about three three bedrooms, was there? And there one, was only one bathroom? Two. two bedrooms and one bathroom. We didn't outside either. It was outside. O'Neill just was the real um, old house now, like as you can imagine. Like, Are you well, like, well, I remember. I mean, Madden's buildings had two small, tiny upstairs bedrooms, a front room, a back room, a back kitchen, an outside toilet. 
Sorry? That, no, I'm, I'm interrupting you. Go ahead. No, I was saying we had one big bedroom in the front. That was a good size room. Back in the day, I know, like, if there was any cop on, like, she would have, um, could have made two rooms out of that. Yeah. The second room wasn't a very tiny room. We didn't have, as you call it, Essex. It was too small. And then the sitting room downstairs, we asked. We had to make a bedroom, turn that into a bedroom. Of course you did. You know, I mean, if you had 11 of your own and four of the neighbours. Yeah. So it must have been a very busy, bustling place around when she was very young. Dominic Street, Shandon. But you mentioned when your mother was very small. You imagine what Shandon and Shandon Street and the lanes off it and, um, you know, Dominic Street and areas around there. It must have been just bustling with activity. Oh, yeah. And then there was neighbours of ours as well. You know, they'd sell the, uh, be selling the oranges and apples and yeah. the stalls yeah. with the black shawl over them. No, right. I was very young at the time, Neil, so any kind of have glimpsed memories of it. But my sister, she was go selling the apples and oranges then with the woman that was living in the Red Hill. Would you know what I'm talking would, about? Would that, would that, wouldn't have been, that wouldn't have been the very old woman that I remember as a child. She used to sell apples and oranges and things on Camden Quay. She had a that's, shawl on. That's her, Bridgie. Was that her name, Bridgie? Bridgie that was her. Jesus, Dale, you remember that? <laughs> I do, sir. I used to pass it all the time. Going across the river and up to the Mon or out to Blackpool. Very old woman. I think that in the, in the later stages of her life, her son used to bring her along and set up the stall there yeah. at McKechnie's, you know? And she'd sit yeah, there all day. Right. Fabulous story. That's right, and she'd be up by Fitzgerald's Park then as well in the summer. But listen, I could so talk to... there every day in a no matter what the weather was like. I could talk to you all day, Bernadette. I, I, I imagine that you were all very kind to your mam, though, in later life. Your dad obviously passed away at some stage, did he? He did. My dad passed away, like, about 30 years ago. And did your um, mam have a happy life in later years? In later years, I tell you now, Neil, right? My, my uh, brother, well, he was my sister's son, but we reared him, as I said, from when he came out of hospital. Yeah. And he passed away. Um, they say it was an accident, but look, I can't go into the details of it. Mate. He was found in the river. It's he fortunate. was terrified of the water. Oh, for um, so, you know, so uh, the River Lee was your back. The River Lee was your backyard or your back garden, if you like to. Exactly. To you know, That's sad. over That's the sad. bridge. Over That's the sad. bridge, so you were right onto us. And who's in the house now? Who's in the? Know f- a load of money, but I need a drink problem now as well. Yeah. But he was bringing out, he had an accident years ago, Neil. A car practically nearly went into the front room of a, a house straight across from where he was driving. He took a lift from a guy, and your man's brakes went going down uh, some valley drive. Oh my God. And he was nearly killed. He was in the coma for nearly three months. That's so but sad. But was affected yeah. the head. It was it all did. head it injuries yeah. and it affected him. So he was drinking heavily. And of course, he'd get his couple of cans then, and he'd be chatting to the friends with his couple of cans. But he started bringing out, and I'm talking about thousands, don't Thousands of pounds. He used to keep all his, me and Mammy used to take a penny off him. So he'd have his money, like, for himself. He'd be and walking he'd around with thousands of pounds. Pardon? He'd be walking around town with thousands of pounds. At the end of it, at the end, before this happened, we'd say, like, maybe three, four months before that, that's what he started doing. Like, my sister would check and she'd go, Jesus Christ, he's after taking out a load of money again because he used to have it wrapped 
stuff. Like, and do you think people like, spot? I think you're saying that people might have spotted that he had money or something. Oh, in his probably that he was trying to Don't you know? Well, uh, sure, I know. You do. And you'll never, you, yeah, you'll never know. Hold, hold on there, because I want to wrap up the story. I want to take a quick ad break and then just get a final word for you and Kitty Crow and move on. Just after these. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Text calls and emails on the way. I just wanted to just briefly finish up with Bernadette on the late Kitty Crow, who passed away last year at the age of 96. But in later life, because she lived to a great age, did she have, would she have a comfortable later life then? Did she, Bernadette? Well, that's what I was just going to say to you there, no, Neil. We never told her that age would have passed away because she would have died on the spot if she'd held up. And she had to touch the dementia for a few years. So she didn't kind of understand that she wasn't in Roland's Lane. She kind of forget, you know, but yeah. never fully forgot yeah. about Roland's Lane. Yeah. She'd always say, I'll go, I'll be going home, you know. Yeah. Loved our house, Neil. It caught fire there, going back about 30, 35 years ago. And it was nearly burned to the ground. It was destroyed. And they gave her a house up in Ochnahini. Now my mum going up to Ochnahini like it was like going out to Spain. You know, she hated up there. No, no, never settled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my dad, God rest his soul, he he put a bet on a horse. As you were talking about longer than my ago. That was a famous myth. <laughs> but he put a bet on a horse, Neil, and didn't he win about 10 grand? What? 10 grand? He gave, yeah. He gave, but he was very good for handing up the money. He gave every single penny of it to me, man. That's how she got back into our house. So ten grand? That was that was thirty years ago. Ten grand. That yeah. What? That was an enormous amount of money. That's how we got the inside toilet. We got a little bit of an an, an extension built on. Before that, it was an outdoor toilet. So with the ten grand, he gave it to your mum, and then that money then was invested to do up the house again. Exactly. And who's and living? And, and she, when she moved back. And she moved she, back. It was the happiest day of her life. And is it still in the family, the house above in Dominic Street? Oh, yeah. My sister, no. I tell you, no, Neil, what happened was when Edward passed away, then you see she would have been on her own in the house. He lived with her. So my sister then lives in Granada, Pauline, a saint. She took my mom out to her our own house now she was very good to my mum anyway before that like I mean Pauline would go into the house every day and yeah. clean the house yeah. for leave shoes to everything yeah. my mum get her shopping and everything I'm ashamed to say yeah. but she took her on took her out and Neil the care now that she was getting out there and the attention boy I tell it like unbelievable so she had very, very happy years out there. Good. She had her six years then out in the house lovely. looking after. But she's a carer by profession ah, anyway. lovely, yeah. You really so that's the reason why, you know. So 11 kids, yeah. yeah, 11 kids and something like 40 grandchildren are her legacy now. Yeah, and great. And she had four generations, uh, Neil. Wonderful. Wonderful. Four wonderful. generations, yeah. And, and let's then think. My of, sister was yeah. so good for like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So and let's think of her now so as well happy. as we are this morning because yesterday was the first anniversary of her passing at ninety six oh. years. And uh, that's why I was delighted, Neil, when I heard you saying it uh, this morning because I mean you wouldn't get any older than my mum. Like everyone, story. no, I would love if, if any friends were listening to this, know if they could ring in because anyone over seventy. Or 60, maybe. 
Like they'll know, Kitty O'Shea, like she's famous in the north side. Well, let's hear, let's see if they do know and let's see if they do get in touch. It's lovely chatting with you, Bernadette. It's a beautiful insight to Ireland and indeed Cork back in the day. And thank oh, you for it. Oh, she's real oldie, like they, do you know right. what I mean? Okay. I like anybody that had the watch on their hand, the gold watch by the, they were like the governor. Oh, he's a very respectable man and he had a wristlet watch on him. <laughs> Look after yourself. Lovely chatting with you, Bernadette. Thank you so Thanks much. Thanks very much, Neil. Bye. I know I appreciate everything that you do, Neil. You're very you kind. Thank you so There's much. No we're, we're all doing our best. And You're I love very your voice, Neil. Thanks, Bernadette. And it's been lovely listening to your voice. Have a lovely day. Thank and thanks for sharing the great day. stories about your mam. Take care. Uh, my mam, Sheila, in Churchfield, loves listening to you every morning. She's a great mam and a wonderful grandmother. She would always say, stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about. My nieces and nephews have often threatened to get name badges because she always mixes them up. To be fair, she has 12 of them. Please let her know that we love her so much and thank you. And that's Sheila. Uh, up in Churchfield. Best memory of my late man was I have eyes in the back of my head. Nothing gets by me. Yeah, you know, you'd often be kind of looking, wouldn't you, trying to find the eye in the back of the head. My mam, Sadie O'Donoghue, always has a lovely saying for us. So if we're dolled up for anything, she would say, you're looking lovely and sure no wonder you can't polish a diamond. What a beautiful thing to say about your son or daughter. Uh, she's the absolute best, never on time for anything, but we forgive her for that. We call her the Don, as in the Godfather. She certainly is the head of the family. My mother, now long gone, used to say, blue and green should never be seen except on an Irish Colleen. She also used to tell us, her, da- her daughters, that everything looks good on a good-looking girl. Isn't it a lovely thing to say? to a daughter. I've often repeated it to my own daughter. I can also speak on Gaelga fluently because of her. Benach die na fela padrigliv galair at Red FM, says Eilish. A mammyism I do myself. I have five kids and when I call them by their name, middle name and surname, they know that they're in big trouble. I learned it from my own mother. Can't call. I'm doing my shopping, listening online with earphones. Good for you. When my mam used to get annoyed by us, Asking her what's for dinner, she used to say, bees knees and thrushes ankles. <laughs> All these years later, I still don't know what it means. Well, I think what it means is you will eat whatever you get. So keep those coming. I'd like to put forward my mam Eileen Murphy for a prize. She's a wonderful mother and grandmother. She lives for her children and grandchildren. She's 83 now and lost her husband, our father, Michael, 19 years ago. But she's a great friend and has great friends and she got on with her life. She's travelled a lot with her friends, also known to us as the Golden Girls. Eileen Murphy's a member of the Golden Girls. Sometimes they just get on a bus and go on an adventure. Over the last number of years, her sight has deteriorated quite badly, but she tries not to let that stop her. She lives alone, still cooks, does her own washing, and is totally independent. She loves watching TV game shows and old series like Heartbeat, Heartbeat, I should say. And speaking of her heart, we have a brother Terry in New Zealand, and she wanted to go see him and his wife, Polly, and the grandkids one last time, but she was having problems with her heart like getting dizzy spells. But recently, she got herself a pacemaker installed and she's like the bionic woman. So she and my brother, Anthony, are heading to New Zealand at Easter to see the family. She loves music and singing and was a finalist in the over 60s a number of times. She used to work in the Metropole for years, so lunch would be wonderful for her. Sorry about the long email, but I just want to wish her a wonderful Mother's Day from her sons, Paul, Anthony, Terry, Owen and daughters, Joan 
or should I say Joanne, my apologies, and Eileen and all of the grandchildren. And there are many of them, some of them in New Zealand. So she's something great to look forward to, Eileen, heading off to New Zealand with the pacemaker, the bionic woman that she is. So a lovely present for her a little later on this morning. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. We've got more calls on the way after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0868104106. Red FM. Lovely prizes for Mother's Day, which is on Sunday. I'm doing it today because we're not on air tomorrow. So we have beautiful vouchers for you. 250 euro vouchers from Michelle Jewelers. And we've got some uh, lovely, beautiful bouquets of flowers again from uh, Stacey up on Shandon Street at Shandon Flowers. And of course, our chat there a few minutes ago regarding Shandon Street will bring back uh, many happy memories to those people that might have known Kitty Crow. And then we also have some lovely Mother's Day lunches at the Metropole and the Cork International Hotel to give away and an overnight stay down below in Faith Lake Hotel, a four-star hotel with lots to do down there and some beautiful food as well. You can bring them over you choose. So that's where we're doing Mother's Day today, um, particularly um, uh, by text, phone call and email. I'm texting about my mom. She overcame cancer six years ago. She's the most supportive mom in the whole wide world. She's been through hell and back uh, and she had to get a big back operation done as well. But I would love uh, to make this Mother's Day so special for her. And I do, you don't actually tell me the name of your man, but I'm happy to read out your text nonetheless. Uh, I'd like to enter your competition to win some flowers, maybe, for an amazing mother, Loretta Walsh, who's a diamond. She supported me and my brother in everything we do. Uh, and this year, we will lose, will lose both of us as we're heading off in different directions around the world to travel and make better lives for ourselves. Like so many, just uh, having to leave. I would love to make it this Mother's Day a special one, as we know, we never know when we'll be all together again to celebrate Mother's Day. So thank you. And that's, um, you know, giving a big shout out to Loretta Walsh. Um, my mom's name is Debbie. She's an amazing mom to me and my sister and a great nan to my kids. Uh, she's been off work for the last two months, uh, looking after her partner, my stepdad, who unfortunately has brain tumours. She's amazing and an inspiration to all of us and deserves a treat. Uh, so well done to Ma'am Deb- Debbie for, um, you know, looking after everybody. Um, Kitty, a.k.a. mother, Philomena Flaherty, birthed 13 lunatics with her husband, John, who we sadly lost last year on 31st of March. She has so many grand and great-grandchildren. I have lost count. Uh, I don't get to see much of her since last year. In the last few years, really, I think about her every day and I'm very grateful she gave me life as uh, as I, myself, am a mom to an amazing young boy and get to experience true love for which I will be ever grateful to my mother for. Happy Mother's Day, Kitty, and to all moms. So morning to Kitty, also known as uh, Philomena Flaherty who gave birth to you and the other 12 lunatics. So keep those coming as I head back to the phone lines. I should have Sarah on one. Sarah, good morning. Good morning, Neil. You're an only child. An only an, child. I'm an only child, yeah. Lucky or unlucky. You I don't, you, well, you, well, you tell me. Is it tough? Do you know what, Do you know what, Neil? It, it is. I'm very, very lucky. Um, obviously, I text in about my mum. And the funny thing is with the only child, when I was growing up, my mum went above and beyond for me. Like, And I used to always say to her when I was quite small into maybe pre-teens, I'd say, an only child is a lonely child. I'd give out like that I didn't have someone there with me on Christmas Day. 
but my mum went above and beyond any time she took me on holidays abroad even if it was only a way to Clare for a couple of days in Ireland she'd always bring a friend she'd have friends staying over with me on school nights she'd be ringing the parents saying look can they stay and do the lunches I'd bring them to school she always wanted me to have company so actually I was really like an only child because there was always extra kids in my house But did it not mean that being an only child back in the day that you were spoiled though like birthdays would be bigger Christmas would be bigger Santi would come to only you yeah, a lot of people kind of have that um, presumption. And I suppose in a way it's true because as an only child, there is probably more, you know, more room to stretch, you know, when it comes to buying presents and stuff. But I think with this, the spoiled thing, a lot of people probably think, oh, if you were an only child, you know, is it your bit spoiled in your yeah. adulthood as well? Which I think is, you know, I think that just depends on the parenting. And my parents gave me everything. Like, and my grandparents, they were, I was probably spoiled in a way that I always had everything, never went without. But they also kind of taught me, you know, about sharing and about the importance of, you know, sharing and yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And your, your mum actually, she worked uh, all through her life, didn't she? Not just in the home, but I think, wasn't she in Debenhams for a long time and other places like yeah, that? Yeah, my my mum is, is a real grafter. Like, when I, when I was quite small, she would have done a lot of um, bar work by night and cleaning by day she actually worked for a long time in the Grosvenor Bar there it's now the Boo Bar in Hostel on Curtain Street um, the Grosvenor Bar next to the old Garda yeah. Barracks yeah. and my dad was actually a guard in the Garda Barracks on McCurtain Street was he next door day. then in the, in, the, in the Garda Station bar- on McCurtain Street yeah he was based there and my mum was the barmaid in, um, in the Grosvenor so that's where the guards drank anyway I suppose wasn't that's it that's it that's it yeah um, and the rest is history then in regards to so my that's how they met he was a guard that's next door guards yeah. drank in the Grosvenor your yeah. mum was a bar worker yeah and they all have geez, the Grosvenor crowd now are still very very tight knit they're all still you know there's a lot of them still around they love meeting up and they'll still go back to the old haunts on McCurtain Street and yeah that, that happens I mean the, the Swan and Signet crowd used to do that as well but I don't know how many of them are still around anymore I know the Baldy Barber was one of them but they were very yeah. tight knit the Swan and Signet oh. and, and they had a very good from a docker to a, a judge in there and all of the bus yeah. all of the bus you know, every, drivers and everything every type of a, every type of a mix like um, but I suppose going back to the only child meal, the funny thing was then my mum says to me today, now present day, she'll always say to me, Jesus, thank God you were an only child because I had you and I'm in my I'm in my early 50s now and I've gained another three because I had three boys <laughs> and, we, you know, without getting into the circumstances because it's a happy text, I don't want to be getting into the details, but we all live with my mum at the moment since my first boy is born. Lovely, so yeah. She has yeah. myself and she's gained another three, so she really, she's like a second mammy really there. She gets no lying in the morning, she gets no dinner in peace, <laughs> but... <laughs> She adores the bones of the grandkids and they adore her as well. They want her to do everything instead of me, like. <laughs> okay, okay. And you wrote a poem, didn't you? I did. And in in all of your text, reading your email, right, um, I can't find any mention of your mam's name. Oh, her her name. Well, her name is Sandra Connolly, um, Neil, but she likes to be known as Sandy. <laughs> okay, because you you gave me your grandmother's name, Elsie, but not your mum's oh, name. So Sandra Connolly is your mum. And when did you write the poem? Um, geez, I wrote the poem. No, I'd say maybe a week or two ago. Kind of coming up to Mother's Day. Anyway, I had a poem wrote out. You know. Um, I always loved poetry anyway as a child English would have been my subject in school and I always loved poetry so sometimes I suppose I don't say things to my mum you know I, I'd be a bit sometimes I mightn't say it to her like you know I love you and I appreciate you for what you do but I find it easier to write you know write and say things through poetry like and is she listening now? 
I think she's listening yeah at home I'm in Dunn's in the car park I'm going to do my shopping in a minute <laughs> Would you like to <laughs> recite the poem to your mum then? I, w- I will Neil thank you You're welcome um, So here's a few short words just for me to say I'd love to give my mum a special mention for this upcoming Mother's Day The name she's known by is Sandra but to me it's simply mum She's the greatest lady that I know She's a legend She's the bomb Since I was small she gave me her all working hard forever on call she supports me in everything I do. She has all the answers to life's questions, the where, the why, the what and the who. She took on the hard task of caring for my grandparents. Nothing was ever too much to ask. She had to watch them fade away, staying strong and brave for them every day. I watched her heartbreak apart when she had to say goodbye, but yet again she worried more about me, barely allowing herself to cry. She gave me a home along with my three young boys, a shelter that we wouldn't have otherwise. So she never gets a proper break, always helping mind them, always kept awake. I would love nothing more than to spoil my mum galore. If I could give her an inch, she deserves a mile. But a mention on Red FM would be lovely and definitely help her to smile. Well, not just a mention, but a nice little gift for her as well a little later this morning. At the end of the day, that's a beautiful poem. At the end of the day, it's just all about family, isn't it? People may come into your life and go out of your life, but family should always be there for you at times of need. And that's what your mother did. That's what Sandra did for you. Yeah, she completely, she sacrificed everything when I was young, present day, just for me. And now for my kids as well, she, she really has gone above and beyond the task and the well, life as a mother I and hope a that she's listening to that beautiful tribute from her daughter Sarah well done I let you, you get on now do the bit of shopping and uh, stay listening Need if you can just before I go I just want to quickly if that's okay just to mention my grandmother as well who would be my mum's mother Elsie um, just, just very quickly Elsie yeah she actually every day I'd walk into her house anyway you were the, the, the you were the music in the house because <laughs> she hung on your every word she loved Neil no one could say anything against Neil it was always Neil but my nan, Elsie, um, I just wanted to quickly mention her for Mother's Day as well. It'll be our second Mother's Day now this year without her. But she was a she was a huge, huge influence and part of my upbringing and to my mum. She was a great mother and grandmother and she was the salt of the earth, Neil. She was the type of person now she couldn't worry. You No matter what you tell her, she, she couldn't bring herself to worry. And a very, very quick, funny story I have is about 16 years ago at home, she fell in the hallway and... She actually ended up breaking her femur bone, which would be quite serious as well, you know, when you're getting older. Totally, yeah. So myself and my granddad were there and we called an ambulance and the ambulance came in and before they moved or anything, because she was in an awful lot of pain, um, they cut the leg of her pants, you know, to see, you know, the, what, what was done and they knew instantly she'd broken her femur bone. So she was put on a stretcher and she was brought to hospital. I was about 16 at the time. And when she was brought to hospital, she was brought in for surgery straight away and the surgeon came out of the theatre and he said to the family, geez, your, your mother is a, is a great woman, like, you know, nothing kind of gets to her because um, when we were in surgery, I was guiding her through bit by bit what we were going to do. Now I'm going to give you an injection. Now I'm just going to cut the second leg of your pants, to which my nan replied, oh God, and these are my favourite pants. <laughs> so like in a situation where she was in so much excruciating pain, she had a big long surgery ahead of her. All she was thinking about was her favourite pair of black trousers. And that was, that was that's enough to say with my nan. That's the kind of person she was. She was just, all to the earth and she give you her heart and um, go without herself you are and you know you're making your mother very proud of her mother so well done on that as well thanks Sarah look after yourself back after the break 
Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. Okay, more calls after 11. Actually, it's very interesting. You know, Langer Dan, we've been having an awful lot of fun the last couple of days with Langer Dan winning that race yesterday. Um, Kevin got on to Coolmore Stud and they got back in touch and we're hoping to get through to Langer Dan's breeder, Hugh O'Connor, about where the name came from and stuff like that. And if we can get that before midday, that'll be a bit of fun. The Barrack Street Band will play us out this morning. They'll be coming in soon and setting up a whole posse of them. Uh, so the Barrack Street Band will round off the week and start off the St. Patrick's Day uh, festivities for us as we head into the week. I'm just hearing through the grapevine, actually. I think this story is about to break that uh, Ryan Tuberty is stepping down from the Late Late Show. Uh, that's what we're hearing now. Um, we continue with his radio program, but at the end of this season, he will do no more Late Late Shows. I think he's been saying that he'll miss it, particularly the chaos uh, of the Late Late Toy Show, but he's going to do other projects and things like that. Uh, and he's also going to, I think he was quoted as saying, embrace his love of books and history and Irish culture and things like that. So uh, that's the latest one. Uh, Tuberty saying uh, this will be the last. Was it 14 years of the Late Late Show? I think I was Googling there a couple of seconds ago. But this one will be his last. As to who steps back into the limelight uh, in, to replace him, I don't know. That's for another day. I'm sure they'll be running that news across the day. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, keep those texts and emails coming with regards to Mother's Day. Texting in about my amazing mom. I know everyone says they have the most amazing mother, but my mother is someone on a different level. Four years ago, her life changed, but for the better. When she took in my two nephews and niece as my sister was going through an awful time with her own health. Uh, The youngest was eight years old. Instead of living her life the way she had planned it, with travelling and relaxing, she looked after them, just like her own children. Fast forward four years later, and she is after putting the eldest through college, and another is fulfilling his sporting dream of getting on an Ireland team. Not sure which team, but an Ireland team. She does all of this with the biggest smile on her face and is always thinking of others before herself. She's my best friend and also the biggest inspiration anyone would ever want. I'd love to be able to surprise her with something that she can just enjoy for herself and let us show her how much she means to us. And Laura sent in that lovely text about her mam. Sadly, I don't know your mam's name. I suppose people in the moment send in texts and things like that and, you know, they leave bits out. Uh, but that's okay because you know who she is and so do so do um so, so does she uh, but that's a f- imagine that um, putting a grandchild through college and another one then making uh, fulfilling a sporting dream of getting on an Ireland team in some sport so thank you for that Laura one final quick one I'm emailing to about my mom Linda Tuig in the hope that she might get one of your wonderful prizes for Mother's Day Linda is the funniest kindest cam- calmest person you could meet she's a full-time carer for my dad has been for seven years because he suffered a severe stroke they're both only in their 50s. So as you could imagine, our lives were turned upside down when this happened. Dad had a severe stroke in his 50s. Mam is our rock and without her, dad wouldn't be at home enjoying his life and getting to look after their grandson, Charlie, who's two, which my mam does while myself and my partner go to work. See the importance of family again, more so in these, t- in these days than ever before. My mam gets on with life day in, day out with a smile on her face, making everyone laugh. Never once complained about the way life has turned out. No matter what happens in life, Mam has the most positive attitude and always says to myself and my sister that anything can be fixed but death. She's been my sister's rock while she suffered with anxiety over the years, went to the ends of the earth to see her start a course last September uh, after a number of years. My Mam knows isn't she known to be cool and calm, but sometimes maybe a little too cool. You can't be too cool. You can't be too cool. Nothing phases her, which is probably a good thing. Not even driving around in their accessible car with a big dent in the back, which happened when my mam reversed into a pole. 
stupid place to put a poll. As you can imagine, we laughed and laughed at it, but she never fails to make us laugh. That is why we love her. She's a one in a million. And today, uh, we actually, I should read out the entire text. She's one in a million. Without our family, we wouldn't be what we are today. She's the greatest wife, mother and nana, and I'm so grateful to have her as a ma'am. Beautiful tribute uh, to Linda Tuig. Not sure where she, where she lives, but you know, as the fella says, you know that yourself. And it's always lovely to share a story like that. Okay, so keep those coming. We'll dive back into some more texts and calls after 11 with regards to the upcoming Mother's Day. As I say, the Barrack Street Band to play us out because we have some great musicians in studio all week and we'll round it off with one of the stalwarts on Leeside and the Barrack Street Band, the Barracka, as they're commonly known. So we've got more calls and texts after 11. I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. Yes, indeed. So keep those texts coming. Keep those calls coming. Uh, text 0868104106. I uh, just want to do one or two more texts and go back to our phone lines. A lovely text came in about Rosie. My mum's name's Rosie. And I have to say she's a heart of gold would be an understatement. Her whole life, she's looked after the family and friends, always putting everyone before herself. In regards to her kindness, there's one thing that always stands out, even though I could name hundreds. She worked in home help for 27 years until the age of 70 when she had to retire due to health complications. But she was never in the job for the money because, suffice to say, the pay isn't anything special. But it did pay her bills. She just absolutely loves people and she loves helping others and socialising. But with Paddy's Day coming, it always reminds me of our countertops just full of plates and every ring on the cooker would be full of food. Every year she made the people she did home help for a special dinner. They all got bacon and cabbage with all the trimmings and she delivered the dinners to every single person she was caring for herself. Bear in mind, all out of her own pocket, bacon and cabbage and all this on her day off. Not only did she do this on St. Patrick's Day, but she also did it every Christmas Day. She made sure every one of them had a nice, big, warm dinner on both those special days of the year, St. Patrick's Day and Christmas Day. Even after she had to retire, she called to them to make sure that they were doing okay and that she was always on only a phone call away if they ever needed a chat. My mother is honestly the kindest, most caring woman on the planet. An amazing mother, grandmother, aunt and friend. I could honestly go on for an hour, but you're busy. Happy Mother's Day, ma'am, and all the wonderful mothers around the country. You're the best. Wishing everybody a brilliant St. Patrick's Day and a long weekend, says Den telling us all about her ma'am, Rosie. Little more detail, please, because I'd love to give your ma'am, Rosie, a prize. Something nice. Maybe some roses. Who knows? Let's see what we can do. A bouquet of flowers or perhaps got some lovely prizes this morning. 250 euro vouchers from Tim Keane at Michelle Jewellers on Patrick Street. We've got lunches for Mother's Day in the Metropole, the Cork International Hotel and Shandon Flowers, the most beautiful bouquets of flowers. So do come back to me with a little bit more info. I suppose... You know, historically, anyway, St. Patrick's Day itself was a big food day in the home. I don't know whether it is as much anymore. And I suppose if it was, traditionally, it would have been it would have been bacon and cabbage, wouldn't it? Or something like that. Maybe corned beef and cabbage. Anyway, text on that. Text 0868104106. I just want to flip um, just for a couple of seconds. But it's not too far from the topic of nostalgia or cork back in the day, I can tell you. Because I was delighted to read there recently a fantastic uh, initiative by one of cork's oldest companies, Johnson & Perrett. They've given all of their historical archives to the city. Now, much of the material goes back to the mid-1800s. And it was at that stage when the business was acquired by James Johnson. 
Uh, and then, of course, that's where we got Johnson and Parrot. But the business itself goes back to 1810. And I've seen the most beautiful photographs of much of the donations that they've given to the, to the Cork City Museum, given to Dan Breen above in Fitzgerald's Park. And I want to have a quick chat with Mark Whitaker because it's a while since we spoke. So good to talk to you again, Mark. How are you? Very good. Uh, thanks, Neil, for having me on the, the show. photographs are superb. But what's involved in this treasure trove of Corkoniana, if you like? Well, we have a number of items because, firstly, we have the diaries and photographs of the late William Perrett, which originate in and around 1920 and document an outsta- present an outstanding record of life in the city during the War of Independence, during the Civil War, and, and for the early years of, of, of the Irish Free State. So these are his handwritten diaries, and, and I think a lot of this information was actually stored for decades in a solicitor's safe on the Mall, was it? Yeah, an awful lot of the family and the the, the company documents um, were kept in the uh, strong room in O'Mara's solicitors. Uh, a previous incarnation of that company was solicitors to Johnson and Perrett. And I got a phone call one evening to ask me, had I anything to do with the Perrots? And I said, yes. And she said, well, we're after finding a box of documents. You might like to take a look at them before we throw them out. When you uh, saw them, what did you what did you think? Oh, I was stunned. Um, most of this relates to the period 1870 through to around about 1920. And it was just uh, incredible to see the original handwritten documents and when you look at those documents, Neil, what you really find is in the first two or three pages of most of those old contracts, they start with the word whereas. And what they do is they map out the whole context in which whatever particular item or contract was being agreed. Very wordy. Very incredible source of history for a family. Yeah, yeah. Uh, because yeah. it lays out the whole context in which the transaction or the conveyance or the deed was being was being prepared. Uh, it's incredible because I think you have an original copy of one of the first agreements to sell Vauxhall cars, for instance, back in the 30s, don't you? <laughs> Stuff like that. Yeah, and it's extraordinary to read it because we sign new dealer agreements with our franchise partners every day. Um, and you, when you look at what was prepared for us in 1933, for both Vauxhall cars and Bedford trucks. Amazing. Uh, the essence of the business has not changed very much. I know. The same know. commitments that we make and, and the same rewards that we get for, for our partnership with those franchises. Could I flip back to 1810, right? Because that's when the company was established. And what were they making? Because I think if I remember seeing a sign somewhere saying Johnson and Perrot carriage makers. Yes. So the, the business was originally founded by Joseph Smith in 1810. We don't know a huge amount about Joseph Smith, but it was bought by William Eden or Eden, E-D-D-E-N, in 1818. So not long afterwards. And he was a carriage builder. So the origination of the company all the way back is in the manufacture of carriages and traps and other forms of horse-drawn transport. And this would Um, have been on what was then known as Nelson Place Carriage Works. Is that what then became Emmet Place, Mark? That's that's correct. And the story actually of how it got renamed Emmet Place of itself is very interesting because that was um, done under any other business in Cork City Council or Cork Corporation. I'm not sure which it was known as at the time. Uh, Literally under any other business as everybody was putting their coats on. (laughs) And it was interesting in the following meeting, the chairman raised the issue a second time 
I said, before we consider it, uh, I'd like to read a letter from one James Johnson of Nelson Place Carriage Works, who clearly was very upset at the, at the fact that the area had been renamed. Um, so there's literally anecdotes all over in our history, Neil, that are really, really interesting. So they made horse-drawn carriages, one of which you have donated to the city and given to Dan Breen, the curator at the the museum, as well as all of the documentation. And you speak of, you know, those before you in the company uh, and referenced, um, is Mr. Mr. Johnson or Mr. Perrett was the photographer? Which one of them? It was Mr. Perrett was the photographer and his grandfather was James, his grandfather was James Johnson. And there's no doubt that James Johnson, have, he, he originally was an apprentice in the business. He went to the UK and learned a lot about the business over a period of 15 years and then returned and bought out his employer, bought out the business in 1861. Amazing, and, yeah. And uh, what is very clear is he ran a business at an extraordinary quality level and we have a beautiful example of this in the Ladies Park Phaeton uh, carriage which is now on display in Cork Public Museum. So would this have uh, been a typical mode of transport for wealthy Corkonian family, is that right? Certainly the particular example you're looking at was designed actually for ladies with their families to ride out into a park, basically. So it was it's a ladies' park phaeton um, and there's small seats for the kids. Um, it's and, a beauty. And it's a very manageable, but it's a beautiful piece of it's craftsmanship. It's a beauty. And all his photographs and his photographic diaries about Cork all down through the years, all captured yeah. and found and, and given to the city. When then did Johnson and Perrett start tinking around with motors and engines? Yeah. First car sale was 1903. Um, it was a little, what it looks almost like a mechanised tricycle, sold by William Perrett as a very, very young man. He was a photographer. He just joined the business with his grandfather um, and, and it was just before the creation of the partnership of Johnson and Parrish. Um So he, he went into business with his grandfather and he sold the, f- the first car. We think, in, I, we think it's 1903. And on the back of the photograph that we have of it, it's, it's fascinating because you see references to no tax, no insurance, no license, no number of plate. You know, so transport it was in a motor cars were in a very early stage of development yeah. yeah did it, did they build it or sell it which originally if if you look at the origins of the motor industry they generally started with the manufacture of cars by carriage makers yes usually from a box of of parts it would have an engine and other parts so the parts for this would have come from Didian in we we think i think that's french um, but we also later on manufactured cars for Ford. Um, I was a little bit surprised in 1921 that we manufactured a Model T Sportster. Yeah. Oh but what God. I found out afterwards was that um, actually in the Ford factory, they built tractors up until 1925 under the Fordson brand and only started building cars in the factory, I think, in around 1925. So, so, yeah, so 1903 was the first one. Um, and at its, at its height, I'm not talking about now, modern days, because you're thriving now, but were they huge employers back in the day, say the early 1800s, 1850s, turn of the century kind of thing? Certainly from, from in James Johnson's time, they, they were big employers. Um, there was 20 working in the iron forgery alone 
you know, uh, in the Iron Forge. Uh, so we think that they had significant numbers working in Nelson Place, now Emma Place. Um, and, and once we got into the motor business, I suspect employment would have dropped at that stage. And thankfully, in more recent times, Neil been lucky to build the team again. Yeah, uh, up to over two hundred today. And May, what are you guys selling now at Johnson and Perrot? What range? We sell a, hu- a, a wide range of vehicles, as you know, in Bishopstown in our new campus. We sell Volvo and Jaguar Land Rover. Here in Douglas, we're selling Opel and Kia, and out in Mahon Point, we're blessed to sell uh, Peugeot, Seat, Cupra, um, Honda and MG, which is a new Chinese brand of electric vehicles. What do you think at the electric vehicles? Here we go, the next generation. Passing on the mantle from the Johnson & Perrett brand from way back. What would they make of it? They'd be delighted to hear that it was still thriving, wouldn't they, though? Uh, Absolutely. Um, And, you know, it's wonderful to see the way in which the business has evolved all the way through the years. Um, There's been good times, there's been tricky times but you know, we're very blessed to be successful in, in the modern well era done. and well continually done. adding to what we're doing Well, I'd love to know who bought the 1903 car, would you? <laughs> Unfortunately <laughs> we don't have that information I'd Neil. love to know um, who had the deep pockets yeah. for that one. John Byrne got in touch to say just finally, that Johnson was involved in the building of the Queen's Coach in the 1900s True or false? Um, I'm not certain. I, I do know that there was a coach, I think referred to as Donegan's coach, which was used for ceremonial purposes around the city. And I believe we were involved in refurbishing it. But I'm, I'm not certain about the Queen's coach. He claims that, that it was in the Royal Court for years back in the 1900s, built in Cork. I, I'd love to have it verified because well, it would be great if it was. It's extraordinary, Neil, because what I've learned through all of the research I've done, through the diaries and everything else, is that you have to be hungry for facts and very slow to judge because the more you learn, the more you understand the context in which things happened. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, we found only very, very recently researching one of the documents that James Johnson actually had a son. We were never aware of this. And it turned out that he actually was a soldier in the British Army in the late 1800s, uh, appeared to have spent time in India and unfortunately lost his life early. Damn. So... We're still trying to understand that because, again, it's, it's, it's another little piece of the jigsaw yeah, yeah. And, and why things evolved the way they And they your did. connection with the families then, Mark, finally? Well, I'm blessed insofar as my grandmother was a parrot. She was the daughter of William Parrot. Uh, she's mentioned very frequently in the diaries, uh, particularly around 1921 when, unfortunately, she became ill with polio. Um, but uh, that Enid Perrett was my grandmother. She married James Whitaker. The Whitaker family, of course, had interests in eggs and That's butter. Right. Yeah, and yeah. was a trade a, tr- a trader in the bu- in the butter market. My God. Um, so you know, the, 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 there is a business history on all sides of the family. It's a pleasure and honour talking to you. That's a beautiful story, well told, and people can pick up on all of the information and all the physicality of it is at the Fitzgerald's Park Museum. The coach, the phaeton is there. The documents are all there. The photographs are there, and they've been preserved uh, for posterity. Mark, have a great long weekend. Thanks so much for sharing. I Thank thoroughly you so enjoyed much, that. Neil. Mind Thank yourself. You Take care. Thank you. That's fabulous. I hope you enjoyed that. That's Mark Whitaker with the backstory. And I want to say a big good morning as well to Dan Daniel Breen. Dan Breen, the great Dan Breen, doing super work there up at the museum. Morning to you, Dan. Have a good one. 
Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. And what we don't get to today, we'll pick up on Monday. Now, Middleton have been back in touch because we spoke with Middleton earlier in the week about the fact that they won't have a parade, but with it, they'll have something else entirely. So, Middleton Town St. Patrick's Festival Park Green is placed to be this coming St. Patrick's Day. It's right next to Super Value, half past two. They're having a big festival there. Music, a Bronco Bull, fancy dress competition, loads, loads more for all of the family. There'll be no parking available at Park Green tomorrow. It's a People's Day. It's a family day. People are advised to park in the distillery car park, the Market Green and other public spaces because tomorrow is a big festival day. In fairness to them, they got it together. The The clock was ticking, but they managed to pull it off and tomorrow's the day when it's going to happen from half past two at it's going to be the St. Patrick's Festival Park Green I've been looking forward to this call all week because last time I spoke to the uh, folklorist and lecturer Shane Lehan uh, out at um, the Folklore and History and Archaeology Department at Cork College of FET he blew a few holes in the myth are indeed the facts surrounding uh, St. Bridget um, that was fabulous listening I wonder if you're going to do something similar uh, with the great St. Patrick his day is tomorrow so Shane good morning morning Neil how are you I'm, I'm good. listening great to talk to you alright so, so so here we go you, you, you call him a green superman uh, but was he real? Like, because uh, you opened our eyes to St. Bridget recently. I mean, tomorrow is the day that he allegedly died. Is that right? That's correct. That's correct. But, you know, I've been dealing, uh, thankfully, Neil, over the years with all of the saints. And I love to distinguish between the kind of what you might call the historical figures that are there. And then, very importantly, the, the legends that develop around them, you know. But I love reading uh, what we call the hagiographies. These are the lives of the saints. And th- these these incredible texts read a little bit like a Marvel uh, super comic, you know. One of these, uh, I often think of Patrick as a kind of a superhero. A green um, superman. When, a green superman. And literally, what I'm saying to you is that when you read the medieval accounts of Patrick, um, which are legendary, I would say, rather than historical. I deal with both now as we as we move along. But they literally have Patrick doing all sorts of stuff. Think like um, he's capable of lighting up the dark. He banishes all the bad weather. He's up against all sorts of monsters and so on and so forth. He's levitating people off the ground. He's attacking druids and so banishing on. Banishing so snakes. Banishing snakes. He's he's not he's not the kind of lovely placid guy that we think about going around with the uh, with you know the, the bishop's mitre and his crozier. In fact, his crozier is his main weapon. Like there's a great account. Just give you straight away a great one. For example, was. Um, Introduced by a fellow called, uh, uh, um, there was there was there was two major uh, legend builders. No, let me let me begin. I'll go back first, okay? Because you'll ask me, was there ever a Saint Patrick? And I will. I'm well, I know. Say, yeah, well, yeah, let yeah, me ask you yeah. because here, here's what we were taught: <laughs> that he was a young boy in Wales, that raiding Irish right. pirates went over, which was quite common, kidnapped him, brought him back here, put him up on yeah. a mountain, minding sheep. Yes, exactly. Now, okay, so let's just deal with all of that first, okay? We have two very important, very early historical texts. One uh, is um, what's called the Confessio. It was written by Patrick himself, where he details all of those things. Slight difference is that his father, we know, was a deacon. He was called Colpernius. His father was a priest. His his father, in turn, was a a priest called Potius, and he lived somewhere on the west coast of, of Britain. We haven't identified where it is yet. And when he was young, 
when he was 16, the Irish went off raiding, as Ireland were doing. We always think we're being colonised. Ireland was colonising Britain a long time before that, but that's another story. Well, and good, they good to went, hear us for a change. <laughs> they, went, they, went, they went over and they grabbed... Um, Patrick, Patricius as, he, as he's known and uh, they bring him over and he spends some time uh, we're told in the in his confession that God appears to him, he tells him to head off to our, head off south he probably comes to Cork which is a great thing he heads off to France for a little bit when he's in Europe, he hears the voice in a dream, the voice of the Irish calling him back. So this account, this particular account which is known as Patrick's confession is a historical text that this historical figure himself wrote. Just incidentally, because we're going to be here all yeah. day. But do we have that yeah. text? We do. Oh, yeah, we do. We have plenty of examples of it. And not only do we have that text, oh, we, we have it written in manuscript form and so on. It forms the basis for the legend that builds up around him. Because um, we're told that another figure, just, just to confuse you like slightly now, another figure also kind of like Patrick is called Palladius. He's actually sent to Ireland in the year 431. And what they do in the Church of Armagh is they take... Patrick, who wrote this confession, and Palladius, and they conflate them together into making one founder saint for Christianity in Ireland. There's two so of them. what you need to... Yeah, well, in fact, one scholar tells us there's four of them, but I'll, I'll, I'll stick with two at the moment, okay? Just just to get rather we get too, too confused. So what happens here, Neil, is this. The church in Armagh, okay, which is the central church run by the big family called the O'Neills, the Enail, they decide to champion this guy, Patrick, as their founder saint. And they set up two scholars, one called Miracu, the other called Tyrocon. They set about writing what we call the hagiography or the legend. And they're the ones ah, I'm talking about. Where they started the he, myth then of the magical they, powers and lighten up the exactly. dark and stuff. The, yeah, they're the, they're the legend builders. And good God, I'll tell you, you couldn't read anything more entertaining. Why would they do the that, though? Well, they, they do that because, first of all, it's a medieval context, it's a medieval text, but they perform miracles. And what they need to do, say, if Patrick wandering around Ireland, okay, which is great, because if and when he does, he performs a miracle. He cures the deaf, the dumb, the blind, the sick, the lame, uh, raises people from the dead, does all sorts of wonderful things. And when they do, they say, oh, wherever you are, Patrick, we'll be loyal to you. So the Church of Armagh, by establishing Patrick as their founder saint, has him travelling all over. And when they perform miracles in the different locations, there is loyalty and money and tithes and power that come to us from the Church of Armagh establishing him as the prime So it was all about money and gathering people to follow the what would then become the Catholic faith, is it? Well, I, I, well, Christianity. Well, we'll leave it the at early Christianity. Christianity. Chris, yeah, yeah, way before. But you yeah, see, but yeah, you yeah. see they, what's really what's really interesting about it, Neil, is that w- what I find interesting is that in those particular texts, they they're at odds with the previous religious beliefs that were here, the previous what we call the pagan beliefs, the Celtic Druids. beliefs, if yeah, you like. Yeah, yeah, and the and literally, um, there's some really funny ones. I have to tell you these ones. Um, there's there's an counter example of um, the Druids are really out to get get Patrick. You know. But Patrick is well up to them now, as I said, you know. So one of the things he does is that he, he causes the sun to to be eclipsed and everything goes dark. And when the Druids are coming to get him, they all start attacking each other and, and so on and so forth. But they try to poison him. But Patrick puts his hand over the chalice and a little drop of poison it freezes and he's able to pluck it out and he can drink his drink and so on. And there's, there's a great one between a super druid, a fellow called Lucid Whale, um, and uh, Patrick himself. And what they do is they take um, 
uh, the druid goes in uh, to a little house and uh, he's wearing um, so Patrick's, Patrick's buddy is, is wearing Patrick's outfit and the druid is wearing the druid's outfit they set it on fire and it bottom, bottom uh, at the end of the story anyways when the fire is finished um, the druid is killed but Patrick's outfit is saved uh, and vice versa and so on so there's incredible sort of detailed accounts and stories and but all of this is myth right and all of the things about you know the miracles and you know healing the sick it's all it's all fake news well I wouldn't say fake news because people people loved it I mean does, no, they may have loved it gobbled it up and I mean you know the, the monsters in the, in, the, in the lakes that were you know in Loch Derg yeah. for instance gobbling up people Myth. Yeah, Loch Derg was originally um, ca- called Thin Loch, meaning the white, the, the, the white lake. And of course, when Patrick hit him with the, with the crozier, <laughs> all the, so much blood came out, it became Loch Derg. See what I mean? It was great, the great the stories. Lake, you know? the, the snakes. <laughs> there were, were there ever snakes here that he banished? No, no. You see, see. The, so what, 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 what happens is that. Well, that's very interesting. In Ireland, you see, when after the ice age, when the ice came up, we're we're really short of anything like snakes. Snakes never made it to Ireland. So we know from lots of historical accounts of things, people knew that. But it was in the 12th century when a guy called Jocelyn, he's writing, he's taking Miracu and Tyrkon's writing, he's developing it up. These are the Anglo-Normans now. Six hundred years century. after Saint Patrick died, yeah, they invent yeah. the snake so, story. Well, the snake story is well known. It actually comes from a place just in the south of France, in the Maid, a place, a place called Leran. And uh, there was um, St. Uh, Honoratus. He was a hermit there and he was supposedly to, to banish the snakes. Uh, Jocelyn, being French, knew the story and he just attached it onto the uh, Irish legends. So onto nothing the St. Patrick on, story. Yeah, but you see, the, the, that's called an etiology. And why it's called that is because there, because there are no snakes in Ireland, it seems that this is evidence that the case <laughs> So what, where do we get the shamrock from then? Okay, the shamrock is is a well known, and the shamrock doesn't come until way way later. In fact, um, the shamrock is more a, um, a, a folkloric sort of tradition and idea than anything else. And you know, the, the, we're told that the trefoil, the the three different areas that he he preached the Trinity and so on. But what I love about the shamrock is that it, we don't have a man called Charles Nelson, who's the great expert in these things. He actually hasn't even been able to identify exactly what shamrock is and what what people talk about is that people were eating things like sorrel and other trefoils like that and they were really the lowest of the low. So the shamrock was almost a symbol of the the base uh, peasants in, in society and it's very very interesting that um, when, when for, for example Thomas Dinley comes in the 16th, 17th century he talks about the, the shamrock eating Irish you know as if they're kind of really down, uh, really miserable but what I love and this is a really good point Neil, during du- Patrick's Day always falls during Lent and we're not allowed normally to drink anything or have any activities during Lent but we're allowed to break out and one of the things we do is we drown the shamrock and the story of drowning the shamrock is a really good one um, there was one point in time when Patrick was visiting various pubs this was in the folk tradition and uh, he came in and, and pubs um, back in those looked, days in the, in, the, in the 5th century 
<laughs> oh no, no, we're talking now about uh, in Ireland, you see, in the folklore tradition, we have no problem bringing him right up to the near present, you know? <laughs> so Patrick is doing his rounds, right? So he's going to in and he looks down into the cellar anyway and he sees this devil below, a big fat fellow with, with huge horns on his head, with cloven feet, a big shiny coat, absolutely looking up at him. And Patrick tells the landlady who's been giving everyone short measures, who's not been giving them the right <laughs> amount to drink. She says, your man below there now in the cellar, he's getting big because of all the, uh, and what I want you to do is I want you to fill every glass to brimming and make sure that you give everyone the right drop. So he comes back the year later, he looks in and of course, um, everyone's delighted up up on top, but down in the cellar, this, what, what, what was a huge monster has turned into this wizened, weak, emaciated creature and, and Patrick hooshes him out the door, never to be seen again. And is that where so, we got then drowning the shamrock and the story behind we, that and the whiskey and stuff? Yeah. Exactly. We got to put the Fodrick. And and the great thing is that you would take your shamrock from your hat or from your lapel, because this was the great symbol of of you being Irish and and so on. And you literally, wait to hear this, Neil, you literally put it into your glass and you literally drank it back. You were expected to drink Patrick's health and you ate the shamrock afterwards. Eating the shamrock and drowning the shamrock in your drink is a huge part of the Drowning the shamrock. That's where all that came from. It's fascinating stuff. Listen, I I have another... Another really great one as well is that normally we're not allowed to eat any meat and you were talking about there, what would you eat Longo for Patrick's Day and so on. The great thing is that it's always either bacon, Longo used to be a pig's head but the reason for that it was known as Patrick's fish or the Lenten fish because if you could eat anything that was boiled in water because it was supposed to be a fish and therefore it was, <laughs> wasn't a piece of meat on Patrick's day. Right, so there was all, all sorts of trickery to get away uh, from that. And, you know, do you remember as well, Neil, wearing the Patrick's Day badge? Oh, you know, totally. Yeah, yeah, the harp. Yeah, yeah. I, remember, I remember as a young fella going around, you, you know, I, I didn't care about Patrick's Day. I had my chest out and you had the badge pinned on with a little bit of green satin on it and maybe the harp as you say on it as well you know but long long ago those badges believe it or not were made from the um, cutoffs of the clergy so you'd go along people would go along to the circus street and they would get the old vestments of the clergy and they were considered to be really top class and you'd make your little Patrick's Day badge with the rosettes and all of that material on it you know I really, and off, then to the, off to the parade I, I really enjoy our insightful stories with regards to our myths and our legends and our history because it goes way back than a couple of hundred years ago it goes back oh, yeah. it goes back like millennia doesn't it they're great stories though you have, they're terrific Neil you have they're ter- terrific you have terrific knowledge in fairness Neil. well done well done Shane it's a pleasure talking to you we could talk all day but the clock it is a ticking so happy St. Patrick's Day to you whatever that may mean uh- and to you, listen, no, we'll enjoy it. It's a great day for everyone. It's a great day to think about our diaspora gone away. Uh, we have a fantastic country and I think we should celebrate it every chance we can. Well done, pal. Well done. Take care of yourself. The great folklorist and lecturer, um, Shane Hillahan. Our lines are open. You can text 0868104106. We got the Barrack Street Band live in studio to play a couple of numbers to take us out on this very, very important day. Uh, well, it's important because I'm not around tomorrow, so we're kind of moving things around, moving 
in the chairs really tomorrow being St. Patrick's Day and indeed Sunday being Mother's Day. The Neil Brenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday 0818-104-106. A big happy birthday as well to St. Michael's Credit Union in the Blackrock Mahan area. They're celebrating 60 years serving the community today. My late mother was very heavily involved in the Credit Union way back at the beginning as was a, a teacher of mine who's passed away now, Tony Burke. So happy birthday to all of St. Michael's Credit Union. 60 years. My God, where do the years go? Well, in spite of the years coming and going, the Barrack Street Band is going nowhere. And proudly with us on Lisa and they'll be marching in the St. Patrick's Day Parade tomorrow. But I'm happy to say they join us in studio this morning. So over to you, people. Take it away, the Barrack Street Band. and we'll get another number uh, out of the Barrack Street Band in a few minutes time just to play us out thank you everybody uh, back to you in about seven or eight minutes but we're heading back overseas again uh, back to Cheltenham we're going to do a double up this morning because I'm not here tomorrow but Joe Seward will be on track today and indeed tomorrow morning Joe good morning Neil or almost good afternoon from Cheltenham I have to say um, <laughs> it was a big winner yesterday that I wasn't expecting it Langer Dan <laughs> <laughs> something like 9 or 10 to 1 and loads of people had money on him. <laughs> yeah, it was brilliant uh, given the Cork team and the Cork team all week even though he was one of the rare winners for the UK trainers, uh, the Skeltons. He's owned by a man, Cullum Donlan, who has the Irish connection. I think that's where the name may have come from. I wasn't able to track him down, but um, he won an entry last year on Ladies' Day. I said that yesterday and he won on Ladies' Day yesterday yeah, in Cheltenham. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Langerdown is a bit of a ladies' man, obviously. <laughs> obviously. No, 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 pun, no pun intended. A tiny little, tiny, a tiny little horse, like, but a heart like, as big as a lion had that's, said. That's, that's what Dan Skelton said afterwards, that our little Langer is a bundle <laughs> of energy, but he's a tiny horse and... You know, he wouldn't have understood maybe the car connotation. Know, yeah, but, yeah. Uh, but it was a bad day for the bookies yesterday. They called it Black Wednesday, did they? 
Black Wednesday, I was just talking to a bookmaker on course. Uh, there's a, a firm called Star Sports. They're the biggest layers in the ring. And there's a guy, Ben Keith. He's, very, he's, he's, he's worth following on Twitter because he fine dines in all the exclusive London restaurants and usually puts up uh, blogs of his uh, fine dining experiences. But they lost on the Queen Mother Champion Chase yesterday. Enerjume's victory cost them 850000 on course. And much... Much of that with Tony Bloom. He wouldn't confirm that it was Tony Bloom, but very few people would have those kind of bets. So Tony Bloom, the owner of Brighton Hove Albion, um, he landed a huge punt with his horse, Enerjume. But as I say, he'd lost a million on him in a race last year. So yeah, I know. he's only recouping yeah. some of his money. That's what yeah. they say, horses for coasters, courses. Well, would a bookie survive a loss of 850 grand? Well, these are an unusual firm. Ben Keith is the front, but I reckon there's a big syndicate behind them. Yeah. Most of the on course bookmakers are small operators, and they are traders now rather than, you know, even though it was a winning day for punters, a lot of the bookmakers are commission agents rather than bookmakers. They take the bets from the public and they're backing them back in the exchanges, so they're minimizing their losses. Right. The old school, book, the old school bookmakers would have been blown out of the water yesterday. They would have been. They wouldn't have been coming back, but the bookmakers nowadays are, are more commission agents than big risk takers. Great crack to uh, watch it on TV. So we had three winners yesterday and four the day before with Jordan Bracken. We've had seven winners so far. Let's look to today because Home by the Lee is a cork horse. Surely be to God. Yeah, he's owned by Sean O'Driscoll from Drumilly. Lovely, lovely man. Sean is no stranger to Cheltenham. He had a horse here many years ago, Black Harry, in 2006. And he looked like winning but made a bad mistake. Um, and he names all his horses with um, a kind of a cork connotation. He's got another one called Beautiful City. But Home by the Lee um, was a horse who seemed to have lost his way until this season. He's come back with two victories in high-profile races in Navan and Leopardstown at Christmas. So he goes here with a, a big chance, but it, it's the big race of the day, but it must be said it's one of the most open races of the meeting. You could make a case for four horses, but Johnny Deneen, who's a well-respected professional punter, who's got a big online following, he sees Home by the Lee as a professional each way bet. In his opinion, he can't be out of the first three, so if you back him, he says... At least, you know, you, you, you get a place at worst. 15 but it, to 2 on very, that. Very, yeah, open yeah, race. Yeah, yeah. yeah so very open race. But he, he is, a, he is a, a horse with lots of stamina. That, that's the same why, hurdle. It's an endurance. Okay, so okay, that's home by the Lee. I'm just, just watching time here. So that's at the, uh, yeah. that would be the half three, 15 to 2. Why is there some sort of war of words going on with, with Michael O'Leary? I've been, I've been trying to follow that over the last few days about, about Davy Russell's retirement or something. Yeah, well, David Russell announced his retirement in Carlisle yeah. the day of the World Cup final and came back because Jack Kennedy was injured. Now, some people have been suggesting that he shouldn't have come back given that he's had a number of injuries. Uh, Michael O'Leary has chipped in with his opinion that he shouldn't come back. There is a well-documented history. Davy was once the retained jockey to Gigginstown and famously Michael O'Leary sacked him over a cup of tea at Tremor Races and that became kind of the stuff of legend. But in the interim, Davy came back and rode from him as ridden winners for him. But Davy could have ridden a winner for him yesterday, Delta Work, but in a twist of fate, Michael O'Leary didn't give Davy the ride and Davy came second in Galvin. So there's always been a little bit of needle. Yeah, Davy okay. is, is riding for him today, but there's always been a little bit of history. And you know Michael O'Leary is never one to wear his heart in his sleeve. He's never afraid to express himself. There's a big race then, the Ryanair Chase. That's got a superstar of a horse, isn't it? Shiskin. Shishkin, yeah, is a wonder horse. He's owned by the Cork man Joe Donnelly, who had many betting shops in Cork for many years. And but you'd make no money on, Sh- on Shishkin winning, would you, though? 
Shishkin had just over evens. Um, and there's a small risk attached to Shishkin. He was pulled up at Cheltenham last year when he uh, was a heavily backed favourite. So he has had it run. He's run two poor races, but apart from that, he's been flawless. But when a horse has a blip, you're always concerned. So I'd love to see him win because he's a classy horse, but whether you take the risk at that price is, is debatable. But Joe Donnelly is a very lucky man, very lucky owner. He had a winner here on Tuesday. And Joe and his wife, uh, Marie, who hails from Yall, they now live, I think their property is now in France and Switzerland and London. Um, they have a box, corporate box here today. So Joe, no doubt, will be hoping to continue his uh, success story at Cheltenham. He's had a lot of winners. He won the Gold Cup twice. Okay, fast look at, the, look at the Gold Cup tomorrow. That's a bit of a lottery, is it? Is it at Plutard with Rachel Blackmore or now, what? The, the weather forecast is horrific tomorrow. I've heard a rumour, and this could be an exclusive, but you know, race courses are full of rumours, that Rachel Blackmore will retire tomorrow if she wins the Gold Cup. That's a rumour doing the rounds. Um, there's been a, re- a regular race course rumour for the last six months that she's going to retire at the end of the season, but that has been a rumour doing the rounds here at Cheltenham during the week. Yeah. She won yeah. it on a Plutard last year. Uh, the horse was pulled up on his most recent start, so you have to wonder what happened to him. But Henry de Bromid's horses are in good form now. They had another winner yesterday. Young Darrell O'Keefe from Donnerail uh, had his first ever Cheltenham winner for Henry, so oh, well Henry's had two winners. Okay. But the Gold Cup favourite is Willie Mullins, Paul Townend, who's the leading jockey, the court jockey from Middleton, a horse called Gallopin de Champ. He's a classy horse, but it's, there's a terrible forecast for tomorrow. Thunder, rain, it's going to be a real test of endurance. Okay. So they say on a day like that, you look for horses like Statler, Noble Yates, who are blessed with uh, stamina. Okay. You, you mentioned Dave, Davey Russell. His big big chance today and I'd imagine Davey will retire after Cheltenham anyway for a second time yeah. but I'd love to see him a mighty potter in the opening race today Okay so here, here are Jordan's tips for today make whatever you will of yeah. these and very quickly mighty potter in the half past one thanks yeah, for the help in the ten. probably the nap of the meeting Okay t- thanks for the help in the ten past two Shishkin in the ten to three home by the Lee in the three thirty Hotong Colours in the four ten Lucia in the four fifty and Stumptown in the half five yeah, a lot of those have chances. Stumptown in the last is trained by a county Mead man, Gavin Cromwell, who used to be a blacksmith and is All now right. one of the top trainers in the country. So let, let us. Um, the, the, the train strike has had a big effect today. Um, numbers, you know, heading out to the tracks much smaller than normal. So British Rail, that's going to have a huge, huge impact um, today. All right. Well, listen, whether people are there or not, the racing will continue. Thanks for all your help during the week. Uh, enjoy the rest yeah. of today and indeed tomorrow. Happy St. Patrick's Day. It's actually St. Patrick's Day team here today at Cheltenham. There's been Irish music and Irish dancing this morning. Tomorrow, of course, being Gold Cup Day. Uh, they decided to bring St. Patrick's Day forward today. So there's plenty of greenery around and Enjoy. points of Guinness selling. And as you mentioned, the Black Velvet Guinness with the Prosecco. All right, my man. Go enjoy the day. Thank you so much, okay, Joe. Neil, Joe Seward, as ha- always. Happy St. Patrick's Day. Thank you. We have had seven winners. Let's see if we can get it into double figures today. And then who knows what will happen tomorrow. But thank you to Joe. And as always, thank you to the great Jordan Bracken for some great tips. It's only novelty tips. They're just a bit of fun, just to keep an eye on things. Just very quickly, Caroline, Caroline. You hear me, Caroline? Hi, Neil. Are you uh, you standing by with your ma'am there? Is she? Oh, yeah, she's here. She's on three. Marie? Hi, how are you? Well, you, she, your ears must have been burning this morning. 
Oh, Neil, I'm telling you, now, what she told you now is the truth. <laughs> it's the truth and nothing but the truth. You, nothing but the truth. Yeah, you were great for the sayings I brought you into this world and I can take you oh, out of it. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I told him that when they were bold or anything. I said, look, I brought you into the world and I'll take you back out. Well, you're one in a million, <laughs> Mammy. You certainly oh. are. I would, and Neil, I yeah. want to thank you. Langer Dan, I... <laughs> I <laughs> I won yesterday. <laughs> okay, good luck. Oh, I'm delighted yeah, that yeah. that happened. It was just uh, pure chance. Oh, <laughs> oh, pure chance. I want I you. Yeah, go on. I'm still very disappointed with you. You never turned up for Joe Dolan party. That was five years ago. Do you remember? You, I you have a long, invitation? you have a long memory. You had a Joe oh. Dolan party. I was washing oh. my hair that day. Oh, you were, <laughs> yeah. And I wanted you to be the stripper. <laughs> well, oh, you never know. Better late than We'd never. Fantastic night. <laughs> yeah, we a fantastic night. All right, yeah. I, I want you to head away to Faith Leg Hotel down in Waterford. Take whoever you with will with you. A luxurious four star stay. You will have a wonderful spa. The seaweed baths are there. You'll be looked after. You'll be wined and dined all over the Waterford area. Oh, neat. And you Thank will have you. a beautiful overnight with dinner. And you can take whom with you? Caroline, maybe. Maybe, yeah, yeah. She put it in, yeah, yeah. And I'm also going to, and I'm also organised the most beautiful uh, bouquet of flowers for you as well oh, from Stacey up in Shandon you. Flowers. You're very I, welcome, Marie. Have and a gr- Neil, yeah. I can't go for a spell because I bought crooked toes. <laughs> of course. <laughs> They're crooked from going up and down to the school when they were all young. No, nobody will be <laughs> looking at nobody will be looking at your toes. Go on. Uh, happy God, Mother's uh, Day Neil. and happy St. Patrick's uh, Day. Neil, thank you so much. You're welcome, thank Marie. You. Take bye care, bye. Marie. Take care, and Caroline as well. I need to blast through a lot of the other winners this morning. What I don't get to today, um, I will get to on Monday. I promise you that. Particularly an awful lot of the stories that I didn't get to sh- get to share. But back after the break with the Barry Street Band. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on O. 818-104-106 Red FM Playing us out live as promised as we head into the long weekend and the St. Patrick's Day festivals tomorrow. Let's hear it for the Barrack Street Band once again.
well done. We are so lucky and we should be so proud of them. The great Barrack Street Band. And as Lana said in my ear a couple of seconds ago, it's the marching bands make the parade. Never a truer word was spoken. Enjoy tomorrow. I wish I had more time. I'm out of time. Some of the winners so far this morning. Caroline Casey, uh, Sarah Connolly, Mary Ansborough, Rosie Russell, Bernadette O'Shea. Those are already prize winners. We do the rest of them on Monday. And when we get off air, we'll be contacting other people who had texts and emails and calls on the air. Thank you to Michelle Jewellers, the Metropole, the International Hotel, Stacey at Chandon Flowers and also everybody down at the Faith, Loka, Faith Lake Hotel. If the Harp Bar can do it on the south side with regards to food during Cheltenham, the top of the Hill Bar on the north side won't be let down either because they're doing daily breakfast, chicken curries, bodice and cabbage, chicken goujons and lots more as part of the Cheltenham Festival. Keep it lit, lads. I'm out of time. I wish it more. One final big um, shout out and that is to Mrs. Patsy Ginn who turned 100 yesterday. Wonderful woman and everybody who knows who wanted to market, particularly Noreen and Tony Cummins. For everything I didn't do today, I will pick up on Monday. So see you on Monday. Have a good weekend. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.